What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is Scorpio Sky, and you are listening to the Keeping It Strong Style Podcast, and it is the best style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Burial the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening welcome to keeping it strong style the ace of podcast on the social suplex podcast network jeremy donovan here with the young boy josh smith on today's show, we'll be previewing the burning spirit in Kobe and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com. Slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official keeping it strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please can make it, consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking the donate button under the keeping it strong style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share plus synchronized viewing parties and much much more it takes njpw world to the next level visit njpwext.us today for details young boy here we are another week of keeping the strong style man what a what an intro uh here we are another fucking week of That was the that was the intro where I think you literally thought to yourself, "What have I gotten myself into? Like, is this even worth it anymore?" Uh, Jeremy, I- I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad we showed up to work because you know New Japan can't apparently do the same thing. And I'm not just <laughs> talking about the wrestlers; they haven't even uploaded, you know, the Blue Justice show that we we're supposed to have watched over the week. Bro, I'm pretty sure. Me and you are the only two people who have been refreshing New Japan World every day to see if the Blue Justice show was up. Well, that's very presumptuous of you. You think I'm refreshing New Japan World every day? Come on, man. <laughs> I, I watch this shit like an hour before we start the show, and then I just, you know, throw my shit takes in. I'm, I, I just act like an expert. I'm not actually paying attention. Um, let me ask you this, though. And, 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 yeah, again, it's not just the wrestlers. It's the people that upload the content and everything. But someone... Somewhere within Shin Nihon 
did their job because guess what was uploaded this past week? What? G1 special from Rapongi Hills on 8:30. The lost the the lauded and <laughs> much sought after lost show of New Japan in 2022. It exists. I told you there was a show the day after the G1. It was G1 special to Rapongi Hill and it is available for all of you who you know, you, you got the scratch, you got the itch, you can't get your New Japan fix. Well, they gave you something. So, you know, go go to New Japan World, watch that show, tell me about it, because I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> uh, you know. Let me ask you this before we move on. Yeah. How did it feel? How did what feel? How did it feel when you knew that this show had arrived? Uh, are, you, are you talking about uh, Spotify? Yes, I'm talking about Spotify. Make no mistake about it. We have arrived. We play with the big boys. Look at the adjective. Play. <laughs> if you go, if you didn't see it on uh, our Twitter, you didn't see it on my story because you're not friends with me on social media, which is most of you, um, all you got to do, you just go to Spotify, and then you go to Podcasts, and then you go to wrestling. <laughs> and you scroll all the way to the bottom. Your boys keeping it strong style amongst the top 92 promoted wrestling <laughs> podcasts on Spotify. Someone uh, pointed this out to us. And I was like, really? And I went and I looked. And it was real. And I was like, well, maybe it's just curated for our taste. And then I went from a, a random account. And it still worked. We are, I mean, you know, talk is Jericho. All the Pritchard shows. Grilling with JR. Grilling with JR. You know, um, I don't know who else is out there. I don't listen to all those shows, but we <laughs> are amongst the elite. The elite. The, the, the elite. elite. Yeah, man. So I, thank you guys. Um, yeah. In all seriousness, though, it is pretty cool. Keep listening, keep donating, and, you know, drop us a review. I think we got like 34 well, reviews. Well, I, it's funny. I have a review that I wanted to read to you. Oh, nice. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, this is, is not this is not planned. Josh Wait, is it is this good or is this bad? Because we've had some bad reviews where I've been like angry afterwards. You, you might be angry after this one, but first of all, on the Spotify thing, keep giving ratings and reviews on Spotify so we can keep moving up the charts there. Um, Are we about to bury one of the frauds? Yeah. So this this, <laughs> this is a uh, Apple Podcast review from last month, August third. The title of this review is. Do they even like NJPW? Hmm. And and they gave us three stars. And, wow. And they say, I love New Japan, but this show just seems to complain and put down everything. Maybe WWE is more for them. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, man. I don't know. Um, why why would we do this podcast? For you know, going on five years, if yeah. we hated New Japan, this is episode two hundred and fifty-one. If we I hated don't know. New well, Japan, why would we be here two hundred and fifty-one weeks consecutively? Yeah, you know, here's the thing, and I mean, like, uh, I think that that is funny. Obviously, um, I don't know. I, do you feel like we're overly negative? I feel like we typically have a pretty fair and balanced opinion about the uh, our you know coverage of new japan i would say so i mean we're going to be you know critical on stuff that needs to be critical we're going to praise stuff that should be praised 
you know, people want us to probably come out here and, you know, throw all this praise on House of Torture now or complain that Naito should have won the G1 and all this stuff. And, I mean, we're going to give our fair, balanced takes, our opinions, our, our ratings. Uh, I think we're pretty fair. That was from August? Yeah. What were we even covering? It was, it was August 3rd, so it must have been G1. G1? Well, I mean, there was... There was stuff to be critical about during G1. And uh but I mean there was a lot that we you know gave credit to. I don't know. That seems uh I don't know. I, I don't know what to really say about that. That just seems like a fucking weird review. <laughs> yeah, so for all our <laughs> listeners that enjoy the show, please make sure you go out on Apple Podcasts on the social suplex feed and our individual keeping a strong style feed, leave a rating and review. And tell the truth in your review. Yeah, here's what I would say. Like, if, um, you know, if there's a reason that you feel like we're putting everything down, then, um, and I'm not even saying this defensively. I'm just being, like, just straight up, like, for lack of a better term, say it with your chest. Explain, cite some references, and explain what it was that you heard us say that was negative. Or if you like something we say, you know, like give us the criticism and, you know, at the end of the day, it's our show. We'll, you know, either take heed of it and, uh, you know, uh, follow it or, you know, take it into consideration or we'll throw it out and, you know, never remember ever again. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I mean, that one is one where I don't have anything to like work off of. He's like, they're so negative. It's like, how? (laughs) What? What was it? Did you not like, did you not like, uh, you know, how I felt about the Dave Finley matches? Like, I don't know, you know, was it the Naito <laughs> burials? What was it? <laughs> let us know. <laughs> yeah, let us know. You know, but uh, I'm not going to watch WWE, okay? <laughs> like, I probably watch more WWE than, like, the average, you know, wrestling fan. Like, I've consumed so much of it. Like, you know, I'm not going to watch I'm not going to watch the current day product unless it, if it gets better, I'll watch it actually. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm just off of it. Like I know a lot of matches got, are getting, did you not watch Walter Sheamus? I saw the ending of it. I do. I do want to go back and watch. Bro, you got to watch that match. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I I did not watch the, any, like that was the only part of clash in the castle. I watched, I did not watch any of the, uh, whatever the NXT show was the same day. It's all out. Didn't watch any of that. What? That uh, that Tyler Bate and um, Braun Breaker, Braun Breaker match was I watched it just the other day. Really good, and you know there's probably a lot of reasons for that, but it it reminded me a lot of DDP and Goldberg. You yeah. know, yeah, you said that in the group chat, and I can definitely see that comparison. You know, Tyler Bate, he's an incredible worker. You know, this guy's been hidden away in NXT UK. For so many years now, and this guy, he's still incredible, and I'm sure, you know, Braun Breaker, I mean, he's still pretty green, but he's really good, and so I'm sure that combination worked really well. You know, speaking of WWE, now we're on the topic, we need a podcast on this network to cover WWE. (laughs) Rich and James, they're not going to do it. Ricky and Clive, you know, maybe they'll come back, maybe not, we don't know. Um, And the rest of the, you know, shows, they're not, I mean... We got a Lucha Underground podcast. We got an AEW podcast. You know, we, we have got two AEW podcasts. We have two AEW podcasts. <laughs> uh, I guess technically three, if you really consider One Nation Radio, you know, a, a catch-all as well. 
we don't have anyone covering like WWE. And at one point we had like three or four podcasts covering, you know, NXT as well as WWE. And um, yeah, we need someone out there. So if, if you're somebody who is good at this shit, meaning like you're good at podcasting, like don't come with like, you know, terrible takes and terrible audio and, you know, rinky dink, you know, production. But if you want to throw your hat in the ring, we kind of need someone to cover that. So yeah, you can email me a demo, Jeremy at social If you want to, or you're interested in, in joining the network covering WWE NXT doing, you know, weekly podcasts there. Yeah. That'd be greatly appreciated. Definitely a need here. And when we say like interested in covering it, we mean like probably forever. Like you have no like working intentions to ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're looking for people who are are committed. You're not going to quit after, you know, one episode. Uh, So if you, if you love WWE, you love uh, Paul of X pro wrestling. We would love to have a podcast on the network covering that. I like pre Vincent Kennedy McMahon. WWF that 1979 shit, yeah. <laughs> you, you like uh, Vince McMahon seniors pro wrestling? Yeah, bro. I mean, not all of it. There's some pretty terrible stuff in there, but yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of. I mean, I, I, I do like WWE, uh, just not the current day product and just not what they've been putting out, you know, for a decade plus. But I mean, generally speaking, most of my fandom is wrapped up in WWE, so. Right, I think most people our age, I mean, most of your childhood, it was either, you know, WWE or WCW, and then the younger you get, is it's mainly WWE, so um, it's been a big part of a lot of people's childhoods around our age. Yeah, but going back to that comment, I mean, you know, you could tell us we don't like New Japan, but top 92, baby, top <laughs> 92, I don't know what to tell you, you know, you try and give me a three-star special, but, uh, you know, big draws in the building, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> can't hold us down (laughs) yeah so uh anyways let's get into since since we're going to be super positive on this episode and talk about all the goodness and greatness that is new japan pro wrestling which we absolutely love um which now i don't know where i started being sarcastic and then stopped in that sentence so i'm not quite like quite sure but uh a lot of shit got canceled this week and you know and then some of it's back and it still doesn't look that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you know we, we got the the ominous black and white lion mark logo on the twitter feed which meant bro which it just means your your day is ruined yes bad news you know bad news barrett i'm afraid i've got some bad news <laughs> <laughs> when you see that black and white new japan lion mark logo come across your screen um like if josh yeah, meant- someone do us a favor like find a copy where they put up that logo and it was good. I can't even like think of a single time where they put that up and it's like, Oh, thank God the black and white logo come and save the day. You know, it's always something really bad. Yeah. I think they use a gold one. I think for, for good. (laughs) (laughs) You think that's, do they really do that? I feel like I've seen the gold one before and it was something good. I don't oh, know. Man. I've never thought of that. Like, we got to start paying attention now. Yeah. <laughs> but we know the black and white one is definitely, you know, something, something's gone wrong. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like Josh mentioned we had some shows canceled this weekend uh, due to Typhoon Nanmadal. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. Um, it was expected to make landfall in southern Japan. And New Japan decided to cancel Sunday's uh, burning spirit event that was supposed to take place in Beppu in the Beacon Plaza. Uh, so refunds were issued for that. Um, Ridiculous. <laughs> if, if this was Florida, 
we'd be braving the storm. We'd be watching New Japan. <laughs> yep, and uh, the key match on that show uh, was the Tornado Dog Cage Survival Match for the Never Six Man Openweight Tag Team Titles. Goto, Yoshihashi, and Yo defending against House of Tortures, Evil, Yujiro, and Show. And the show is also going to be headlined by a 10-man tag elimination with Tama, Kanahashi, Yano, Kushida, and Jado squaring off against the Bull Clubs, Jay White, Carl Anderson, Doc Gals, Taiji Shimori, and Gato. And then New Japan also went ahead and canceled the September 19th event that was in Fukuoka. With Now with those cancellations, the Never Six Man title match was moved to the show that is coming up this Friday. Uh, we also got the black and white logo for an update on Kushida. He's going to be missing action in Kumamoto. He was scheduled to wrestle on the televised live event on September 21st in Kumamoto, um, but he's going to miss the event due to health concerns. So he was removed from Saturday's event after presenting a fever, and then after testing negative for COVID-19, he underwent consultation with doctors who diagnosed him with a suspected skin disease. So. Florida. <laughs> yeah, Kushida, he, he needs to move out of Orlando ASAP. Yeah, bro, you catch something real quick down here, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Do yourself a favor. If you've never done this, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that know about this trick, but uh, who knows, probably a lot that don't. Just type into Google the date of your birth, your birthday, not the year, but just the day, and then type in Florida, man, and then just see what pops up. There will be something incredibly interesting that pops up no matter what day of the year it is. So, you know, Florida is wild down here. I'm I'm sure that's the uh the culprit of <laughs> the suspected skin disease, whatever it may be. Yeah. So yeah, man. So yeah, some cancellations. Uh they haven't put up the Yuji Nagata show, Kushida being out. This burning spirit tour has, in, has in not been so hot. Dirt. In the mud, bro. <laughs> Dumpster fire. Man, fuck New Japan. Why are we even doing this podcast? I'm gonna go cover WWE now. <laughs> Let's talk about the uh, the white rabbit tea. White rabbit, yes. <laughs> oh man, no. But uh, you know, there is some positive that came out of this one. Um, you know, we didn't have to watch these shows, which weren't necessarily ones I thought were gonna like light up the world, anyways. But I was interested in the six man, the never open weight six man, and you know, the more I've kind of thought about it, I mean, we don't really know what it's gonna be, you know, because I mean. It's it's a dog cage match, and it's a six-man, and it's a Texas Tornado. I'm assuming that you have to probably eliminate all the members of the other team. Um, well, they, they put the rules, and we, we... Oh, are there rules? Okay. Yeah, there are rules, and we, we talked about them Reading last is week. Your, well, I don't be listening to what we say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me see if I can uh, pull it back. I was starting up. to think that like maybe you would... Um, like as you eliminate somebody, then the t- then the number then like the other team is at a disadvantage because they lose a person each time someone gets locked into a cage. Maybe there's multiple cages. Yeah, I don't know. There are all multiple cages. So, uh, so here's the rules here. Um, so like you mentioned, it is under tornado rules, um, and there will be no tags and submissions and pinfalls count by anyone on anyone. In addition, there will be four sides of the ring. Uh, there'll be dog cages on all four sides of the ring. Teams can opt to lock an opponent inside one of the four cages to eliminate them from the match. Should all three members of a team be shut in a cage, the match will end. 
So if they get pinned or submitted, is the match just automatically over, or is it elimination rules across the board? It sounds like one pin and submission, and you win. Okay, so the dog cages, if you get locked in, you're eliminated. Right. But that doesn't lose the match for the team. It only You only lose the match for the team if everyone is in a dog cage or someone gets pinned or submitted. Right, so you could end up with a like three on one situation, and then you can pin the one guy. Or well, you throw know, him I kind of like that because there's like a a numbers game psychology. I mean, I'm not saying that they're gonna go out there and have a great match, but I mean, those aren't those aren't the worst rules in the world. I mean, considering if those guys all decide to go out there with their working boots on and have a plunder, a walk and brawl plunder fest, and you know, just you know completely ham it up in Corkin and then you know you see the the numbers come into play with people getting put into the cages and eliminated and blah 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 that match could actually end up being better than we're giving it credit for once I thought about it this week yeah um, the only thing is I, I wish that um, there would be cheering for this show uh because I feel like the crowd would be pretty into it especially when House of Torture is getting thrown in the cage or yeah, uh, I feel like that match really needs like the booze when they're they're cheating or it's a three on two advantage, uh, two you know two on one advantage kind of thing. And don't get me wrong, considering you know Yano's in the match, right? Um, no, 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 he's not. It's Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi. See, that's where we're at. Like, I'm I'm just thinking like dog cage chaos. Yano's got to be in the mix. Which which well, team is which team's even the champions right now? Is Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi. Okay, yeah, they won them back recently. Right, but uh, I, I'm sure Yano will come in play because I'm sure uh, Dick Togo will be out there, so I'm sure they'll have Yano to kind of counterbalance Dick Togo's interference. Okay, well, I mean, regardless, it's still the House of Torture. So at the end of the day, could this end up kind of sucking? Sure, you know, especially since New Japan uh, generally doesn't always really take uh, stipulation matches super seriously especially when it's a kind of a goofy one like a dog cage match but you just never know they might give you something sort of surprising that's good here and what i like about it is instead of this being the main event it's now coupled onto a show that has other matches well where... it, it, it's now the main event of the show that it's on now Previ- oh, okay. previously it was uh in the semi-main event spot but now on... i thought it was going on to the kobe show no, it's not. It's going on the uh, 23rd show on Friday. Oh, well, then it's it's just what it was before anyways. <laughs> See, this is what I was going to say. I was going to be like, you know, I like when they load up a big show and have meaningful matches instead of spreading them across the entire freaking, um, you know, tour. So you're, you end up watching a million repeat matches on the undercards with just, you know, one meaningful you know, title match that on a bigger show would pretty much just be a prelim match anyways. Yeah. But uh, that's what they're doing anyway, so it, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's funny. Even uh, my wife has been noticing, like, the repetitive some of these matches. She'd be like, didn't we watch this match yesterday? Bro, <laughs> are with, you, with the are same you, guys? Are you making your, your wife watch? I'm not making I'm not making her. We'll be in the room and I'm watching it, you know, doing my stuff, getting ready for the show. And she'd be like, well, didn't, didn't we see this match yesterday? It was like, you know, right. LIJ and Suzuki Gun match. I'm like, well, you know, it's a preview, you know? They got to do different, you know, preview matches. No, bro, you need a kayfabe for what are you doing? Like, you you don't say it's a preview match. You'd be like, yeah, these guys, they hate each other. And, uh, 
they they can't really settle it night after night it's just war every night gotta run it every night (laughs) they just run it back (laughs) it's a best of 12 series (laughs) um yeah man so anyways uh okay so essentially we're getting the never open weight six man tag team match on uh september 23rd so what day is that that's saturday is that saturday or Friday. I think it's Friday. Well, let me Friday. Look. I don't know. Today's what Tuesday. Yeah. So it's Friday. Okay. And then the big show, the Kobe show, is the Sunday. Next day, or Sunday, Sunday the twenty fifth. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, let's do a quick rundown here. So Friday show, we've got uh, an opener between Young Lions, Oiwa, and Fujita, which I feel like this is the first time in a while we've seen uh, a singles match between these two guys. Uh, yeah, in quite a while. So, I mean, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, we talked about that last week that we hadn't really seen these guys in singles action. They've been a lot of tag team stuff. We saw them against Suzuki Goon on this tour. So, yeah, it should be pretty fun to see these guys mixing it up again. Other than that, we've got uh, Fale, Chase, and Hikaleo taking on uh, Gideon Gray, Okan, and Jeff Cobb. Third match, ELP and Kenta team up to take on Bushi and Shingo Takagi. Fourth match, Taichi, Taka, and ZSJ take on the LIJ team of Hiromu, Sonata, and Naito. Fifth match of the night, Great Bash Hill team up with Okada to take on the TMDK Trio. Sixth match of the night, Tanahashi, Jado, Kushida, Tama, and Yano take on the Bull Club team of Doc Gallows, Gato, Jay White, Carl Anderson, and Taiji Ishimori. Seventh match of the night, we have an elimination tag match between six or nine, teaming with Dave Finley and the DKC as they take on the United Empire team of Hanare, Francesco Akira, TJP, and Will Ospreay. And then in your main event, the never open weight six man tag team title match and a dog cage survival match. Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi, the champions, defend against the House of Torture trio of Evil, Show, and Yujiro. Um, not much more kind of to add to that. I think we sort of gave our thoughts and opinions. I mean, do you have anything to add to anything on this show or the main event? I mean, the, the big things here, also, we're getting a lot of the foreigners um, on the tour. They were supposed to be back in action this weekend, but the typhoon kind of messed that up, so they've been kind of hanging out in Japan. So, yeah, so we got, you know, Jay White, Good Brothers back in action, Will Ospreay, David Finley, all these guys um, back. Doc Gallows. Yeah, uh, all these guys back on the tour. Um, and Carl like, Anderson. Yeah, said so Good Brothers. Yeah, bro, but you need to <laughs> put respect, say their names. Put respect on their names. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, but yeah, the, the six man main event we kind of already talked about. Give our thoughts on that. Um, what do you think? Do you think chaos retains or House of Torture get the belts back? It doesn't matter. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the one storyline that is really somewhat interesting is how Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi are sort of pushing the merch about there not being a House of Torture and kind of alluding to the idea that they want House of Torture to end. Yeah. And that could be interesting if hypothetically this isn't a one and done, this isn't the blow off, but maybe potentially this is leading somewhere to where House of Torture either needs to disband or I don't know, maybe like there's some sort of uh, match that involves a stipulation where it could affect chaos in some way. Although this seems pretty low stakes. Like for instance, I mean, just think about it. Um, 
I don't know if I'm Okada. I I put the hands of or the future of my uh my stable in the hands of like yo. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if I would let it get to that point if I was him. But on the other hand, on the other side of things, I mean, Evil is the leader of them. Shows like the junior ace of the group. Yujiro is like one of the founding members. Like, if there was a stipulation like that, they seem more of an uh seem to be more of in a place where they could potentially put the um you know the future of the stable on the line as a stipulation whereas i don't think like this chaos trio could really like do that unless i don't know okada got involved or you know rocky gave them a <laughs> <laughs> i don't know yeah i mean they do something where you know if how the torture loses they have to you know disband or leave new japan you can do something where if chaos team loses they have to join house of torture and leave chaos Ugh, that would suck <laughs> yeah um you know earlier in the year when strong hearts were here i really thought we were gearing up for a potential um house of torture versus strong hearts match yeah. i don't know i just kind of felt like that was a potential place that we were going and it, it never really happened and since then these two teams have kind of traded the titles back and forth House of Torture seems to kind of like dominate, you know, the never six man field at this point. Just, yeah. and the titles, you know, were a long cry from where we were, you know, a year or two ago when it was Goto, Yoshihashi, and Ishii having just banger match after banger match like last year and the tail end of the year prior to that. So it, it's hard for me to say. I, my guess is. If if hypothetically you wanted to do a storyline where House of Torture needed to put their you know existence on the line, they would need to lose. Because if they win, then they have the titles, they have the upper hand. There's no impetus for them to enter into something that's high stakes like that. Yeah. But if they lose and they want another shot down the road, that might be, you know. Hey, we'll give you a shot, but if you guys lose, you're breaking up. And then, you know, maybe you do that at Wrestle Kingdom or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they have a uh, different couple different options that they could do, but it probably doesn't make the most sense for Chaos to win, like you're saying. That way it kind of forces uh, the heels to kind of have to kind of beg and grovel and kind of really put something big on the line for them to to end up getting a uh, another title shot. So uh, I guess we'll see what happens with that. So uh, moving on from there, we have the Kobe show on the 25th. And so the opening show, opening match will be uh, ELP, Hikaleo, and Kenta versus the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, and Chingo. We'll have a singles match with Toriano and Doc Gallows at the Bull Club team of Bad Luck Fale and Chase Owens against the United Empire team of Gray O'Connor and Jeff Cobb. Dangerous Techers, Tai Chi, and Zack Sabre Jr. will take on the LIJ team of Sonata and Naito. Great Bash Heel will take on Okada. Or excuse me, Great Bash Heel will team with Okada take on uh, TMDK. Then Kushida and Tama Tonga will take on Jay White and Taiji Shimori. Then for the Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles, United Empire, Francisco Okara, and TJP will defend against 6 or 9, Master Wato and Rizuka Taguchi. Semi-main event, the Never Openweight title match, Carl Anderson will defend against Hiroshi Tanahashi. And then the main event, for the IWGP US title, Will Ospreay will defend against David Finley. Overall thoughts on this uh, card in Kobe? Yeah, so I mean, um, 
it's not the greatest card in the world, but it's definitely stronger than what we've been seeing from the rest of the Burning Spirit Tour just in general. I mean, you know, sitting at the very top of the card, there's a U.S. title uh, defense from Will Ospreay and Dave Finley. There's the never open weight title defense from Carl Anderson and Hiroshi Tanahashi, as well as the junior tag team title defense. And then a couple other meaningful, you know, uh, like preview tags and matches on the undercard. So all in all, this is a, a much more attractive and important show, especially taking place from Kobe than what we've seen from the remainder of the, the tour in general. Yeah, this is, we mentioned earlier, this has been a pretty, like, kind of cool tour, especially coming off of, um, you know, hot G1 finals with Okada and Osprey. And I think a lot of people were really, you know, excited about New Japan after that finals. And then coming to Burning Spirit, things have been a little bit slow. But, yeah, you know, this is the conclusion of the tour. Big show here. Tons of title matches, tons of preview matches for the, the, the big show in October, Declaration of Power. Uh, so lots of stuff happening on this show. Um. Is it still kind of a wait-and-see situation when it comes to Kushida teaming with Tamatanga? Has there been any update on that? No. So they're pulling him off the um, the show, uh, the, the house show on the 21st, which is tomorrow. So I guess depending on if everything checks out by this weekend, maybe he'll be back on this show. If not, then I guess they'll have to uh, replace him with somebody. Gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, the undercard itself doesn't look too bad either. While there is still some, um, you know, repetitive, familiar, uh, you know, tag matches that we've seen kind of repeated throughout the tour, a couple notable things stand out. You've got your singles match between Toriano and Doc Gallows. Uh, we saw those two wrestle, I believe, the last time Doc Gallows was in Japan earlier this year. And, you know, Historically, Yano has kind of always had Doc Gallows' number, kind of a similar situation to Yano versus Davey Boy Smith Jr. Um, yeah, Yano's pinned him twice this year, once in single, then another time in a tag. Right, so you've got a big, angry, giant Doc Gallows looking to get you know his comeuppance on uh, the trickster god Toriano. So that should be, I mean, it's a Yano match, so I mean, I'm not going to hype it up and tell you it's going to be good. If you don't like Yano matches, you're not going to like it, but uh, it should be funny at the very least. Yeah, and they've been keeping those matches really short, so it shouldn't be too bad. Right, and then um, underneath that, you've got Folly and Chase Owens taking on Great O'Connor and Jeff Cobb, which at first glance, that might look like, oh, just your average, you know, preview tag match, but these two teams were the last two teams to hold the IWGP tag team titles before it got, you know, um, hijacked and held over in America with no defenses for like what, three or four months now. So yeah, you know, so, yeah. Jericho, Jerichoism. <laughs> yeah. Both of these teams are kind of jockeying for that number one contender position. Like you mentioned, Cobb and Ocon, they were not pinned to lose those titles at forbidden door. And then, Previous, or the previous or the previous time they lost it. Right. And both three way matches, yeah, they were not pinned. Then previously Badlock Fale and Chase Owens were also champions. So like you mentioned, two former champions are both kind of jockeying for a number one contender spot, hoping to face the winners of uh FTR versus Aussie Open that's happening at Royal Quest two. Yeah, and I've gotta imagine that, you know, come Monday when the IWGP committee releases their top five 
you know, title contenders. This is going to, whoever wins this match is going to skyrocket to the top of the rankings. Oh, definitely. That number one spot. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, what is the top five, Jeremy? Um, so it would be um, Aussie Open. <laughs> then I would say Khan and Okav. Then okay. I would say, or what's it? Ocon and Cobb. Uh, yeah. Three will be um, Fale and Chase Owens. Four will be Great Bash. No, actually, no. Four will be Bad Dude Tito and Shane Hayes. <laughs> and and then above the Dangerous Techers. Oh yeah, I forgot about. Oh hold on, I gotta, gotta start over. I gotta start. So one is Aussie Open. Two is Con and Cobb. Three would be danger or no three would be folly and chase four dangerous techers and then five i'll say uh it's probably sonata naito just based on it the fact that it's them i don't know well they haven't been teaming a while i'm gonna put a great bash heel they've been great great bash heel (laughs) yes what big wins have great bash heel picked up in the last six months i don't know but they're consistently (laughs) teaming together out you know (laughs) I'm sure they faced some young lions and got got a win recently in one of those matches. So what about uh what about um like West Coast Wrecking Crew? Nah, they they lost to Aussie Open. <laughs> they 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 got they got to work right. back they got to work back up to get ranked. Any, anyways, so you know very likely that the winner of this uh Bullet Club versus United Empire tag team match will probably be the next team in line to challenge for those titles, but. The next match on the show might throw a little bit of a monkey wrench into that plan because you have another high-stakes tag team match as the Dangerous Techers take on the LIJ duo of Sonata and Tetsuya Naito. And both of those teams are former champions. Both of those teams have held prominent positions in those rankings. And and I'm not being facetious when I say the rankings. I mean, literally, like, they've, you know, uh, been mainstays of the, uh, the heavyweight scene at different points. So... There is a possibility that whichever team wins that match might be in contention for the titles as well. Maybe, you know, just to kind of give you an example, maybe we see United Empire versus like LIJ or Techers down the stretch if those like if those titles aren't coming home to New Japan. Right. Yeah, there's definitely potential for that. And who knows? We we might see some other kind of multi team like the winners of Bullet Club and Empire versus the winners of Techers and LIJ and another three-way versus the winner of Aussie Open FTR. Remember that first year we did the show and, and the year prior, they did so many tag team three-ways. It was like uh, G.O.D. And War, War Machine, Machine and Killer Elite Squad. And Killer Elite Squad. And they, they just did so many three-way tags for that duo all year. It sucked. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, I mean... And at the same time, um, you know, Ocon and Cobb, they've proven themselves to be a great tag team in ring. But, you know, I'm not that uh, bearish on Fale and Owens as a unit. I mean, separately, you know, you could definitely criticize some things here or there. But as a team in the past, just kind of judging off their performances and say like uh, World Tag Leagues and then also, you know, the recent matches they had for the title. I'm not going to sit here and tell you like they're uh you know the greatest tag team they're not the young bucks by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> but they're pretty serviceable when called upon to have a, a a good tag team match so that might be pretty good actually 
Yeah, I mean, you, you got Chase, who's kind of, you know, the, the workhorse of that team, and you, you tag Folly in for some big power spots. Him and Cobb can do some, you know, power exchanges there. And right. I think it'll, it'll be a fun match. Um, and then the, the, the match beneath it is one I'm definitely looking forward to because Dangerous Techers versus LIJ in the early days of the pandemic, they had several really great matches together and also that uh, three-way tag team match that they had with uh, with uh, Bishamon. So, you know, these guys are no strangers to one another. And if history tells us anything, they're probably going to have a really great tag team match, especially, too, since in the, the one thing we criticized about their matches previously was the length of them. They were overly long, even though the matches were, you know, deniably great. We kind of said that they needed a shave like 10 15 minutes off those matches right well, they're gonna have to in this situation so either they're gonna phone it in because it's you know an undercard tag or they're gonna go out there and really put on a great show plus there's still all the heat from from uh zsj and naito coming out of the g1 as well yeah i mean there's so much um you know history of all four of these guys tag team and individually like you mentioned naito and saber but also you know naito and taichi there's a story there uh, Sonata and Saber, they have a history. Sonata and Tai Chi, all these guys. There's, there's, you know, you can look back and see kind of the, the story between all four of these guys. Like you mentioned during the pandemic, all those tag matches, and yeah, those matches were on like six match cards. So yeah, they got like you know 25, 30 minutes. This is a nine match card, so they're probably only going to get twenty tops. I'm sure, probably more, more like fifteen. Yeah, probably less. I mean, uh, the the last four matches of the night are you got three title matches, and then you've got a major, you know, heavy slash junior title preview tag as well, which is probably going to get like at least twelve minutes. So yeah, um, maybe we should talk about those last four matches and just kind of move on. So um, fourth match from the top, you've got Kushida and Tamatanga, the challengers for the titles, taking on Bull Club team of Jay White and Taiji Shimori. Um, which, you know, in and of itself just looks like your standard preview tag. But at the same time, it is interesting. And they do this from time to time where none of these guys really can totally quote unquote afford to take the pinfall. There's not the obvious pin eater. So that brings us to a situation. Who do we think is taking the loss here? And what, what do we think is going to be the outcome of this one? Yeah. So this is a rematch because they, they ran this during, I think it was G1 a final night, I think they had this They match. did, and I believe Kushida lost. Yeah, I think, yeah, Ishimori pinned Kushida, I believe it was. Um, so I think they're trying to tell a story, like maybe Kushida is a little bit rusty and maybe not quite ready for Ishimori. Um, so I would think that you you, you want to get Kushida heated up for this potential upcoming title challenge. So I would have Kushida pin Ishimori here or submit him to get some momentum going. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I don't think Tamatanga or Jay White are in a position to take a loss whatsoever. So on the junior side, it's a little bit more, uh, you know, doable. And the fact that Kushida's already taken a loss in one of these preview tags, Ishimori can return the favor. I think it's going to tell us a lot here, though. Um, here's what I would say. If Kushida loses, as counterintuitive as this may seem, I think the chances of him winning the title back go up exponentially oh yeah because i mean they've, they've made him seem like such an underdog and i don't think you're bringing kushida back just to beat him like a drum so yeah if he does lose again i feel like you know he goes in ishimori super confident 
lets his guard down, and that would allow Kushida to win the junior title. Unless you want to destroy the character that he's currently playing and reinvent him, you could have him take loss, loss, and then fail. But that's like yo territory. I don't think we're trying to book that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, on the other hand, though, if they do the more traditional booking, Kushida beats Ishimori. He gets the win back. He's heated up. Then everything's kind of out the window at that point because you could have Ishimori retain, and that would be pretty typical. You could have Kushida win, and that wouldn't seem too far-fetched either. That's all pretty par for the course. Uh, my thinking is if he happened, if Kushida happens to lose, it's unlikely, but that's the most interesting thing that could happen because it probably indicates he's winning the, the title back. Yeah. So I'm looking at the uh, junior tag team title match, United Empire and six or nine United Empire. These guys have been cleaning house of Wato and Gucci this whole tour. They've had their number. Yeah, and they've been booking TJP pretty strong on the U.S. side of things as well, on strong. I know it doesn't perfectly correlate to the kayfabe of New Japan domestic, but there is some crossover there, and uh, they've made him look great. Yeah, he's uh, getting a, uh, a strong title match on this uh, tour that's airing right now. Right. As far as 6 or 9 go, they have looked cohesive as a unit, but they, they've really just been telling a story where these guys are not as good as Francesco, Akira, and TJP in almost every sense of, of the, you know, the word. Uh, this other team is more flashy, um, in some ways more experienced, uh, more technical. Uh, if you compare like TJP as the senior of the team and compare him to Taguchi, he's got more successes, more world traveled. He's younger, faster, better blah, shape, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. better shape. And, and Francesco Akira in some ways is kind of the same way as, as well. So in order for Wato and Taguchi to beat this team, they're going to have to come together cohesively. And, you know, it's sort of like <laughs> that famous hockey match from the, uh, the eighties, you know, Olympic team, the, you know, the miracle on ice, you know, is team USA <laughs> going to be, be able to beat this, uh, these Russians, that's what this is really coming down to, you know, and if, if six or nine can pull one out, it's going to be a miracle. And you got to ask yourself, do you believe or not? You know, you what believe they, in Watto. You know what they really need? What's that? They need a matching gear. You know, that is probably something. I mean, they got a matching name. They don't have matching gear. If they come out with matching, they come out with matching gear, they'll probably still lose, but it would be cooler. <laughs> so <laughs> Because... So you- because TJP and uh, Francesco Akira, they have, like, not just matching colors. They got, like, matching gear. Like, it's the same gear. Dude, it's pretty cool. All of United Empire, all their gear, all match, same color pattern, same, like, material, same designs. All see in different, like, cutout styles, like singlets for shorts and all that stuff. But, yeah, they all, they all look great together. Here's what's going to happen. Uh, United Empire team is going to retain... Okay, then in the next coming month, uh, the strong champions are going to beat FTR, you know, using flips, not fists, <laughs> to win the titles. <laughs> and then they're going to book the, you know, New Japan World Tag Team Triple Crown title match between all four members of United Empire. And we're going to do a finger poke of Doom Spot. And. These, uh, you know, TJP is going to lay down for, uh, you know, Big Daddy Dunkzilla and 
Aussie Open within less than a year being in the company, they're just going to have all three titles. So you're saying we're getting a four-way with uh, TJP and Akira, Aussie Open, Cobb and Ocon. Or no, they're factored out. Oh, they're out. They're so- not even in, factored in. This is They're going to get paid step-aside money by the IWGP committee. Hold off on your – you're still going to get a title shot, but this is a big money match between all the main Gaijin players in United Empire. Big money match. You guys step aside, let us have the big match then you can come in and challenge as number one contenders later on. Happens in boxing all the time. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> well, if I was booking, that's exactly what would happen. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, I, I think, I mean, honestly, it's a junior titles. So it, it can go either way, but I would like to see Akira and TJP retain also. I would like to see them as champions going into Super Junior Tag League. That's what I was going to say. Like, uh, obviously that is coming up in like what, November? Yeah. Okay. What are they going to do in the interim? Is there anybody that you can think of that might be good challengers on this, you know, next to last tour before the super junior tag league? I mean, there's always Despy and Kanamaru. You could do Kanamaru and Doki. Uh, Does any of that seem likely to you? I mean, I'm just trying to think as a booker, like, uh, you know, putting the serious hat on. I mean, on the one hand, if, if six or nine win, then we can run this match back the next <laughs> month, which is something that they like to do. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if, uh, you know, if um, United Empire wins, they need new challengers. And I don't really know who's next. Yeah, I don't really feel like anybody's really been angling for a shot. I mean, Despy's not really doing anything in New Japan right now. He's kind of on the back burner. So unless Despy's going to challenge. Yeah, there's Hiromu. That's right. You could do Hiromu and Bushi. I do feel like in a multi-man match, I feel like Kevin Kelly didn't mention them potentially being teaming up again. Um, so, yeah, you could do Hiromu and Bushi, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this one, um, but regardless of the, of the outcome, I've enjoyed their matches in the past. Hopefully this one uh, improves upon what we've seen, you know, previously. and we get some really good junior action and you know um i'm looking forward to seeing more of what uh francesco akira and wato have to offer so hopefully this will be another step for both of them in their journey and we can kind of glean what the future prospects for both of those guys are yeah uh, and then we have uh the semi main event which is the never open weight ta- uh, title match Machine Gun Carl Anderson versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. And I don't know. This one feels fucking weird just because Carl Anderson, he hasn't been back since before the G1. Like, when was the last time he was in the company? Was it June, July? No, I think they were there for G1 finals. Yeah, but I mean, okay. They were they showed up in a tag match, but I'm talking about like in a meaningful match that actually, you know what I mean? Like a yeah, singles it, match. It, it would mattered. be Dominion, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Dominion. So it was like June. So it's been a, a long time. Uh, I don't know, man. Dude, I, I just don't understand why they put the Never title on him if he wasn't going to be in G1, if he wasn't going to be it, on, it, on undercard to heat something up. It's so they could push uh, Tamatonga without, without having the Never belt on him at the same time. Right, well, get somebody that's there in Japan to beat Tama then. Hey, Better said than done, you know. Easier said than done. I mean, who would you have liked? Juice? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Yeah, give give you something since he's supposed to be getting this big push. That's too much. That's too much good things happening for Juice. We need to keep him down. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, it's easy to criticize, but there have been weird, wonky things going on with the titles. I mean, Carl Anderson's had the Never Belt and been gone for months and months and months. FTR win the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Titles you know, at Forbidden Door. We haven't, when was that, June? Yeah. And then yeah. when they were they haven't on. De- they haven't defended. Right, and they were on U.S. New Japan shows, and they still didn't defend them. They didn't defend it on the U.S. show. They haven't been on Strong. They haven't been on any of the U.S. pay-per-views. Not that there have been that many, but they haven't been. On, well, the one that they're on, they didn't defend the title. And then, uh, you know, they haven't even defended them in, like, AEW or on the indies or anything. So, that's felt weird. And then the whole thing with the U.S. belt this year has just been really weird and all the, like, ups and downs. And who's the champion? And this guy's got a belt, but he's not the champion. And we're vacating, but now we're filling it, blah, blah, blah. So, I don't know. Some of these titles have just felt weird this year. Yeah, it's not been the best situation for some of these uh, other titles. Uh, but, you know, here, if I'm New Japan, I don't know. I really don't see anything, any interest in really keeping the belt on Carl Anderson. I would put the belt back on Tanahashi. I would too. Um, and then it would, you know, at the same time, you you really got to ask yourself once it's all said and done. If if Carl Anderson wins, it's like, okay, well, why? What's next? What are the plans? Maybe they have plans. We don't. We might not know. But then if he loses, it's like, great, it's on Tanahashi, but what's next for Tanahashi? I guess we'll figure that out. But why did you guys even put the belt on the dude if he was just going to be, you know, a modern-day, you know, transitional champion a la Ivan Koloff or some shit? Yeah. He's, you know, he's just the Iron Sheik. He's a guy to win the belt and lose it to the next guy. Yeah, and I'm sure, obviously, with World Tag League coming up, I'm sure the Good Brothers will probably end up being in that, so you don't really need Carl Anderson holding the Never title being in World Tag League. Well, there's a little secret, Jeremy. Hmm. You don't really need the Good Brothers at all. That 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 true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of run their course, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But um, do we have high hopes that this match will be really good? I mean, it is Tanahashi, and I mean, Carl Anderson hasn't shown it since he came back, but you know, there's rumors of this mythical great Carl Anderson singles guy that really can turn it on when he's there. He didn't right. do it with Tamatanga. Tr- that tries when, when it's on the big stage. Yeah. But he is in there with Tanahashi, one of the all-time greats. You know, he's seen better days, but he can still turn it on when he's ready to. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I think Tanahashi with the Never title going into Wrestle Kingdom season makes a lot of sense. You know, he's going to be on a card, put him in a Never title match. I think that would that works for me. But what I'm asking is, do you think the match will be good? this match yeah is carl gonna be able to turn it on and you know rewind the clock and be the guy that everyone claims he is when he when you know when the lights turn on and he's standing across from the ace of the universe i'm i'm gonna predict a three and a half star match that's your over under yeah okay that's a good number so we'll see I'm not really sold on it i'm gonna agree with you on the uh the outcome i think we're looking at at a tanahashi win but uh as far as the match quality, all bets are off at this point. Yeah. Main event, though, you got Will Ospreay, the current reigning U.S. champion, defending his belt against Dave Finley, if we recall. He lost 
his G1 match to Dave Finley, who was at the time holding the physical title belt, although Will Ospreay was the champion. And he leveraged his win in the G1 to basically hand the title back and say, the next time you defend that belt, I want my shot. And at, after the G1 finals were over and Osprey lost in the G1 finals to Okada, he was accosted backstage by a quote-unquote babyface, a fiery, fired-up, fighting <laughs> spirit babyface David Finley, who accosted this man when he was in a weakened state and told him, I want my fucking match. So here we are, finally. And we're I, getting the match. I heard David uh, pulled Osprey's hair and bit him. Well... In all fairness, there was a dog backstage, and <laughs> Great, Great O'Connor was trying to save the dog. <laughs> so, I don't know. But, um, yeah, you know, the funny thing is, I think Dave Finley and Osprey, I think Osprey is one of Dave Finley's best opponents that he's ever had. I wouldn't say the same thing about Dave in return for Osprey, but, you know, it's, it's hard to be one of those guys when you look at the body of work he has, and it's you know, a who's who of great, you know, wrestlers, especially in Japan and uh, and the UK as well. Yeah. But they've had very good matches, but I personally seem to never be as high on the matches as just the general population is. For whatever reason, people really love the Dave Finley and Will Ospreay matches, and I'm, I'm a little bit cooler on them than others. Yeah, I really like the, the New Japan Cup. 2021 match where Finley kind of got that uh, he got the big upset um going into that tournament uh, was that the did he beat Osprey in that match or he was coming uh, off he, of the he, win yeah he beat Jay but then he ended up losing to Osprey see I liked I think uh and I'm also the low man on this I liked the Jay match where he won better than the Osprey match mm. but I thought they were both very good yeah, and I happen to like that Osprey match better than this most recent G One match, where everyone was raving about it. Yeah, I like the New Japan Cup match better than the G One match, and honestly, like this Kobe match, it to me, I'm getting very similar vibes to Resurgence. Um, so rewind the clock that's back. Not a, that's not a good. I, that's not a good thing to say. I know. So rewind the clock back, 2021. We're talking about Finley getting his big upsets in the New Japan Cup, gets his big push. He's supposed to face Jay White for the Never title in like uh, April or May. Pandemic happens, Gaijin unrest happens. Uh, they're away from Japan in August to have resurgence. And Finley came into that match cold. Nobody really cared about that match. Nobody cared about Finley. Everybody was behind Jay White. They wanted to see Jay beat this man and get over with. I, I feel we're very. It's sim- not the same. It's, it's not, not the it's same. It's not quite the same, but G1- it's not even kind of the same. Okay, like let's devil's advocate. Let's talk about the opposite end of it. Where were Jay White and David Finley feuding in the lead up to that match? Nowhere. It well, they were in Impact. Well, yeah, barely though. Which which pretty much means nowhere. No one was watching that shit. Yeah. But they were feuding in Impact, and that was supposed to somehow translate to the LA market and. All those fans were literally Jay White and Bullet Club fans, like hardcore. They weren't even New Japan fans, really. We were there live. It was mostly New Japan or uh, Bullet Club and Jay White fans. So when Jay White came in, he got a hero's welcome. Like you would have thought he was Brett in Montreal or some <laughs> shit. You know, 
if the, if that match had happened, if they had built the match in Japan and then had the match in Japan, I don't think the crowds would have reacted that way. And in the same way, I even though, yes, I agree with you, this match hasn't necessarily had a hot build because neither guy has been on the tour. Right, and that's my point. Also, I don't think as far as the crowd reaction is going to be that, but just like the feeling of the match. It's like they shot the angle last month at the NNG one. Both these guys haven't been on the tour. They haven't done anything on strong at all with these guys. And now, now and they're social media either. Right. And now they're back on the tour. And also there's going to be some preview matches this week, but this match doesn't feel hot anymore. And to me, I think it's pretty obvious Osprey is going to win. Like I'd be surprised if Finley were to beat Osprey here. Yeah, and I mean, if the the rumors are to be believed and they're angling to potentially do a big money Osprey Omega match, either at the Dome or elsewhere for the title, you kind of need Osprey to retain to to make that happen. Of course, that that match wouldn't necessarily need that U.S. belt, but I think it's made a little bit more compelling when that belt is part of the narrative, considering the history of it with Kenny Omega and everything like that. Right. Uh, this actually kind of reminds me more of like when uh, giving you an, an illustration, it reminds me of when Omega had the belt and lost in the G1 to Juice. Mm. And then Juice got the challenge and wasn't really a hot match necessarily, but it happened and Omega got the win back. And this is, you know, this is a, a, a Gato staple of booking and I, I agree with you i don't think that this is a, a hot match i just what i wanted to say was i don't think we're gonna see like the crowd turn right like, on dave finley yeah, the, the way that they did in la like that was that was horrible right yeah this kobe crowd's not gonna turn on finley and they're not gonna be a lot of cheer anyway uh right but but they'll 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 ch- they'll clap right appropriately they'll, yeah they'll clap for finley but i just feel like this match is like lukewarm at this point like it lost all its steam and I don't know, it's just, it seems like an obvious kind of thing, like Osprey's going to win this. Well, maybe this week they do some interesting angles and, and promos and stuff to kind of put a little bit more juice in it, like the corn, you know? <laughs> it has the juice. It has the juice. <laughs> uh, and then also, you know, we talked about this U.S. title, you know, needing some stability. We've been saying that for a long time now, even before – all the rigmarole happened this year with the injuries and COVID and all that stuff. Um, so if I were them, I would give Osprey a nice, you know, lengthy run with this title to help elevate it and give it some stability. Well, I mean, I, I guess we can get there when we get there, but I've got my own ideas about, well, I've already said it on the show before. I think that when he wrestles, Kenny is losing the belt because mm. he has had it since May. That's the thing. It doesn't feel like he's had it since May because, he like literally wasn't holding the physical belt the whole time, you know? Right. They did that whole weird stuff during the G1, but I mean, realistically he's held the belt. And if it wasn't me, it was, I think it was, wasn't it dominion where he beat Sonata. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was supposed to, wasn't supposed to, something supposed to happen to me. And then they had to move it. I can't, I can't remember. It's hard to keep up with what's taking place. Yeah. Like the lip, the liver, uh, thing, uh, but still that's like what July. So he won it back because it was after because it was supposed oh to be. Yeah, we can't even. <laughs> we can't even I, keep I, it straight. I don't know who any of the champions <laughs> in this company are anymore. Well, it was supposed to be um, him versus Juice, 
and then it ended up being him versus Sonata. I'm gonna look. So he so Tanahashi had the belt and he held it from May first. So he Tanahashi won the belt. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was supposed to be Sonata versus Will Ospreay. Right. Back in April. And then Sonata got hurt and the title got vacated. Then they did the Fukuoka. Then the Fukuoka match was supposed to happen, and that was in May. It was going to be Tanahashi and Osprey. Then Osprey couldn't do the match, so it ended up being Tanahashi versus Ishii. Right. Yeah. Ta- Tanahashi won the belt. Then they did the four-way with Juice and him and Mox and Osprey, and Juice won the belt in May. Then he had to vacate the belt in June, so the belt got vacant again. And then Will won it in June, on June 12th. And that was in Osaka. Yeah, Dominion. Yeah, and he beat, yeah, he beat Sonata. So my thinking is that if he retains this, and he, like, let's say he goes all the way to January 4th, which I think is what they're angling for. I mean, that's six, seven months that he'll have been champion by that point. Yeah, which definitely, the title needs that. Right. Although, in all fairness, he's only had one title defense in that whole time. This will be a second, which isn't a lot, but... You kind of give him a little bit of the uh, the G one, you know. All the champions are really not defending during that time period, anyways. Right. But I mean, that's a pretty tumultuous history this past year. I mean, we had to literally do a rundown of all the times it got vacated and who won and, and who did. Also, and not to mention Juice stealing the title um, from right. Osprey, and he held a belt. Physically going into G1, then Finley stole the belt from him, um, and then finally gave it back to Osprey. So even when Osprey had it, it, it's still kind of confusing on who the champion was with everybody stealing the belt. Correct, and that's and uh, like I feel like that a lot of this has hurt the credibility of the title, um, in a certain respect. And I mean, you t- you look at who the champions have been, like the last few champions. You got Moxley. Archer, Tanahashi, Kenta, Tanahashi, Sonata, Tanahashi, Juice, Will Ospreay. That's not any kind of shabby list of guys. Those are some really great champions. But the circumstances surrounding how, when, who, what, and where, and why make it to where none of their title reigns really felt very meaningful outside of the last time this title meant something was when Moxley held the belt, you know? Yeah. And people complained because. He didn't defend it for like a year. So if I'm telling you that the last time this title really felt important was the guy who didn't defend it for a year was holding it, it kind of tells you what what kind of state <laughs> U.S. title reign is in. And I'm sorry if we're being negative, but I can't sit here and tell you everything's peaches and cream with the U.S. title situation if it's not. And it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's... We'd be lying. Yeah, it's it's been pretty bad. Um, probably the worst title scene we've seen in quite some time uh, with tiles in New Japan, and so it, it's just been a hot well, mess. Jeremy, everything seems to have gotten kind of bad when it comes to the U.S. and the Never scene once they got rid of the white belt. Yeah, and it it still feels like there's a void there, and we're still not really sure which of these belts is the more meaningful secondary title. I guess it feels like probably Osprey since he's, you know, one of the top guys holding it. But the way, and a lot of this isn't New Japan's fault. 
to be fair. A lot of this was circumstances outside of their control. That's why we call it the curse of the U.S. belt. But, um, yeah, I think that, long story short, I think he needs to retain to uh, lend, lend some credibility. But I kind of feel bad saying that because at the same time, like, it's been a, a, a long time coming for David Finley to potentially capitalize on his pushes and his runs in New Japan. And everyone was talking about how much more improved he was coming out of the G1. Is there any party that feels like maybe they need to do something with that? Or is that for not? I mean, yeah, I guess there is a part of me that, that would, <laughs> I, I, could, I, could, I could see that, you know, they're doing a ton of interviews on the website with him right now. There's this kind of big push that they're kind of going with him and, yeah, it's kind of like, all right, what are, they, what are we doing with Finley? Like, you got to do something with him. Um, so if they want him to win here to kind of catapult him, you know, going into dome season, I guess. But for me, I'm how, just, ba- how bad do you think that he is looking at the, the like, landscape of WWE right now and thinking, like, damn, I should have gone to NXT when I had the chance? <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know if uh, David Finley's on Paul Levesque's, you know, hot list to bring in. Yeah, but uh, Paul Levesque is on David Finley's hot list <laughs> to go in. <laughs> Remember he wanted to chill with, with Paul and Sean. Yeah, he did. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know what they do with David Finley. Hey, at least this time when he's doing media, he's not burying the company and talking about going to NXT like he did last year. Yeah. it's a We t- forgot about that detail. Yeah, it's a totally different landscape right now. And, yeah, I don't think he has as many options as maybe as he thought he did last year. The worst burial of a company since CM Punk. <laughs> 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 oh, man. But um, top to bottom, this should be a good – I don't know if it will be a great show, but it's definitely going to be you know exponentially better than what we've seen on the, the rest of the tour so far. Yeah, I mean – Easily will be the best show of the tour. Easily. (laughs) Nice. Well, um, that is going to do it for our preview of Burning Spirit. Let's kick it over to New Japan of America. Yes. So this past Saturday, the Fighting Spirit Unleashed Tour continued on New Japan World. The show opened up. We had the wingman's Peter Avalon making his NJPW Strong debut, defeating Adrian Quest, 8 minutes and 52 seconds. Then following that, we had the return to America of filthy Tom Lawler after his run in the G1 this summer in Japan. So filthy Tom Lawler teaming up with his team, filthy stablemate J.R. Kratos, they defeated the team of Cody Chun and Jordan Cruz at 9 minutes and 54 seconds. And then in the big main event of the show, we had the Bullet Club team of Chase Owens, Hikuleo, Switchblade, Jay White, and Rock Hard Juice Robinson. They defeated the team of Kushida, Rapungi Vice, and Taylor Rust. 14 minutes and 46 seconds. Josh, what do you think about this week's episode of Strong? You know, I, I took a look at the lineup, and I really, really wanted to watch this week's episode of Strong. I mean, Peter Avalon. PPA but, all day. Yeah, I mean, there was just so, I mean, Adrian Quest, 
Team Filthy. Cody Chun, come on. <laughs> so much that I wanted to see here, but I just couldn't mm. squeeze this episode into my schedule. I had so many other things to watch, you know? Uh, the Nagata show, mm. the, the Never Six Man tag, Just Tap Out. There was a show recently. <laughs> there was a lot going on. Uh, so I'll give some quick thoughts here. Um, Avalon, Adrian Quest, uh, fun matchup. Avalon working on Adrian Quest's leg for the uh, majority of the match to set up his uh, submission finisher, but ends up getting the win with his uh, double knees, his Meteora, what he calls the Martinis. Um, so, like I mentioned, Avalon's first uh, match in New Japan strong. How is Adrian Quest looking? He's looking good. Uh, Young Fuego, he was doing a lot of cool flips and dives in this matchup. Um, you know, the, the AEW rub helps Peter Avalon here because, I mean, Adrian Quest has been on strong for a while, but PPA gets the win here, its first New Japan strong match, so I'm wondering if we're going to see more of him going forward. Last time he was on AEW just recently, he was he took his shirt off, and even though he's still like, uh, you know, he's kind of like a, I don't know what the correct terminology is, but, you know, he's like a, I don't want to say skinny because he's muscular, but he's not a huge guy. But, yeah, he's put on a ton of muscle. Like he was fucking shredded, bro. Like he was he never looked like this before. And like I was it was for some sort of squash spot where it was when uh I think Wardlow came out. Yeah, Wardlow or someone came out and like Peter Avalon made sure to take his shirt off <laughs> before he got choke slammed or or whatever happened. And I was like, damn, bro, like he's in incredible shape. I'm trying to, you know, get yoked like Peter Avalon, bro. Yeah, like, he, he was in great shape for this match as well. Um looking ripped and yeah, got got the big win. Um, Team Filthy match. Um, the, the G1 worked. Uh, Filthy Tom Lawler got a big pop. The crowd was doing his clap that he was doing in Japan. Um, nice. Team Filthy pretty much wrestled this match pretty much as baby faces. Even JR Kratos, the crowd was behind Kratos, um, and he was doing some big uh, monster spots to some of these guys. And Filthy Tom, uh, Tom, there's a lot of heat on Tom. and get the hot tag into Kratos to kind of clean house. And then both these guys are doing some uh, kind of cool double teams to Cody Chun and Jordan Cruz. And then uh, towards the end, uh, Kratos hit his big finish on Cody Chun to get the win for them. And then, to me, Team Filthy is like the modern-day four horsemen. Like, you can have a million variations, but, like, you can't have the horsemen unless Flair is the main guy and you got Arn as the enforcer. That's kind of how it works for me. Like, if Team Filthy just always stays Kratos as the monster... And, you know, he can even be a titleist, doesn't matter to me, but, like, uh, you know, that credible, you know, juggernaut, and then the main mouthpiece, the main front front man is, you know, Filthy Tom Lawler, you could just have whoever come in and go out of the team. I don't care about the iteration. <laughs> it's like, those are the guys. They're Team Filthy. Yeah, and they did, they did tease that those guys could potentially, you know, work their way up the ranks to challenge for the strong openweight tag team titles. Well, I'm sure that the uh, strong committee is paying attention and they're updating their rankings every Monday as well. Oh, yeah. Which the top five are... No, I'm just playing. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I actually... I don't know. They don't have that many teams, I, I mean, don't think. I mean, so you got uh, the West <laughs> the West Coast Wrecking Crew. Uh-huh. Uh, you got um, Stray Dog Army. <laughs> <laughs> You got uh, DKC and Kevin Knight. No. <laughs> you got the uh, the Midnight Heat. 
they don't they're not in the they're not, they've only had two appearances tmdk <laughs> and, they, and they only work when they're in california <laughs> tmdk okay i mean i guess Christ- this is bullshit fallen angel and yu yamura <laughs> <laughs> he's suspended no no, no he, he got cleared yeah he, he's cleared yeah oh man uh, then this mo- this main event here um, with Bullet Club versus uh, Kushida, Rapungi Bites, and Taylor Rust. Um, just kind of continuing um, kind of the Bullet Club history with uh, Rapungi Vice. Ishimori was at ringside, so kind of building the, the match of Ishimori and Kushida here as well. There was some miscommunication here between Jay White and Hikaleo, and there seemed oh, to be God. some uh, tension there. Um, and Hikaleo was going to get the win, but then... Jay made him tag in, so he tagged in, hit the Blade Runner, got the win, and then post-match cut a promo talking about, you know, he had to come in to Strong to clean up the mess and that people need to remember he's the leader. Um, don't be like Tama Tonga. Uh, he's going to beat Tama, blah, 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 kind of, you know, continuing to build that matchup and clearly kind of shooting some kind of coded shot at Hikaleo as well. So it's, Well, Hikaleo's a whole hoe, bro. <laughs> you know, you let your brothers get beat up by this man, and then you still follow him around. Like you're co-opted, dude. Right, and then and then Jay beat him, and so now he's just you know tuck his tail and. Yeah, you're a lackey, dude. <laughs> so, so I don't know. It's fine. Get that money. But uh, <laughs> who do they beat? Taylor Rust. Yes, uh, Blade Runner on Taylor Rust. Gotcha. I heard that this match is pretty good, actually. Yeah, this is a really fun match. The crowd was super into it. Um, big pops for, obviously, the Bull Club team. Rapungi Vice getting big pop. Kushida, big pop. Um, so, yeah, crowd's really into this. Really fun back and forth. Guys are hitting spots all throughout the match um, that led to that the finish here where uh, yeah, Jay got in, hit the, hit the Blade Runner on Taylor Rust. You know, one other thing, too, and I wanted to mention this earlier, with the whole speculation about the house of torture and if they were to disband one has to wonder what would potentially happen if something like that happened would they re-amalgamate into the bullet club which they are technically a part of or would they go their separate ways and find different things to do and if there is going to be a bullet club civil war which we're still not sure if that ever will be something how are they going to factor into it? So I think that those are still some lingering things to think about regarding that whole situation as well. Yeah. I'm not sure we're ever, we're ever going to get, you know, the bull club civil war 2.0, uh, like 6.0 at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, that is going to do it. So this coming week we have fighting spirit unleashed. Uh, what night is this? Like night Night, night three. three. Yep. Okay. And uh, we got four matches on the docket. So QT Marshall is returning to take on one Kita. We have Christopher Daniels and Yuya Uemura teaming up to take on the TMDK team of Shane Hayes and Mikey Nichols. I guess you're right. They're, they're back, you know. I, I told in you. the rankings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then we got Ren Narita as he takes on Jacob Austin Young. I've never heard of this individual. Yeah, I think this is his strong debut. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what he's got. And then uh, Dream Match Alert, main event, you got Taiji Ishimori against the man that ended Kenny Omega's career, <laughs> Alan, formerly known as Five of the Dark Order, Angels. So that's a that's a cool match, actually. Yeah, that should be a fun match. It'd be cool to see Alan Angels in New Japan. I think he's definitely a guy that they could utilize on Strong and then also bring in 
uh, in the junior division. Bring him in the best super juniors. Bring him in for title challenges. Nice. Well, that is going to do it for NJPW of America. So let me, uh, <clears throat> real quick, let me take a, a, a sip of my Hefeweizen. <sighs> the Steve Weiser. And uh, let's jump into the news. So, uh, first thing on the docket here, New Japan revenue, as expected with larger attendances than the previous two years due to the pandemic, is up. Bushi Road in its annual report was vague as they listed New Japan and Stardom together, having grossed 5.599 million yen, about $39 million US, over the 11th month period from August 4th or August 1st, 2021 to June 30th, 2022. So even though we don't have the exact number breakdowns, that's uh, definitely a positive sign across the board for both companies. Yeah, and there are more numbers in the Wrestling Observer newsletter as well as these stats came from. And so, yeah, also business is kind of in a, an upswing here. Also, like we mentioned, with being back from the pandemic and we know that New Japan, they've been trying to get as many butts in seats as possible to make up for lost revenue. So with the combination of that and the way stardom has been going, things are looking up for the Bushi Road wrestling properties. Yeah, I mean, uh, at this point, if all the reports that we've received are to be believed, uh, it looks like stardom is has surpassed both Dragon Gate and Noah to kind of be seated as the current number two promotion in all of Japan, men or women's. Yeah. So... Yeah, Bushi Road, doing it big. Um, next bit of news, New Japan announced the second October pay-per-view for New York City. Uh, the, the promotion has announced the night before Rumble on 44th Street. It will be a Halloween special for Thursday, October 27th at the Palladium Times Square. A day before the Rumble on 44th Street pay-per-view in the same building, both events will be available for purchase on Fight TV with a bundle package also available to be purchased for both events. So, you know, uh, we talked about this where they sold out in, you know, record time for the first show, and it seemed that they were a little bit bearish and probably put themselves in too small a venue, especially in the New York market at that time of the year. And I think they're trying in some way to potentially rectify that by adding a second show. The only issue I have with them adding the second show at this late of a date without a forewarning is for all the people that maybe their, you know, travel plans don't correspond with this. It, it kind of throws things like wonky, you know? Yeah. It's like, if you were just expecting to come in to New York city for that, you know, the main 44th street pay view, and then also this one get kind of get spring. It's like, do you have the availability that the money, the time to go to that show um, I know they've sold some tickets for the the, uh, the additional night, but it hasn't sold out yet. So I guess we'll see if that sells out as well. But yeah, I definitely think they, they went too small on the building, especially in that New York market, a big wrestling city. Uh, obviously, they shouldn't have done Madison Square Garden. That would have been too big. But I feel like there were some other arenas a little bit bigger that they could have done just a one-night show and got a bigger house. Yeah, well, the other thing, too, is you're asking the individuals that are there who are already paying for a ticket to now double dip and pay for a second ticket, mm -hmm. as opposed to if you were selling just one large venue the first time, it wouldn't be the same people paying double the price unless, you know, they had higher ticket prices. 
it, you you would assume it would be more people paying. So you're kind of getting I don't know. Hopefully the shows are good. Obviously, um, you know I haven't been very high on some of those fight TV productions for good reason. Although they did seem to work the kinks out the last you know couple pay per views, you know largely. But uh, yeah, I don't know if this was great marketing. Plus, after all the like hype about the first show, you know, a big big return to New York. We're gonna have Stardom featured, and they they sold out on the hype. But there's no card attached to it. Then the buzz was well, they were you know too conservative, and we don't really know what we're getting. And I feel like maybe some of that that after effect of what occurred after the first sale took place might also be causing some people to be like, well, let's just wait and see what the card even looks like before I buy these tickets. Right. I also think it stinks too, just for the, the watching uh, consumer who's going to watch this pay-per-view. Now you have to buy two pay-per-views instead of just one. Yeah. Or you could look at it at a more optimistic view. You get to buy two pay-per-views. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's also the you know sometimes the first show uh, is like seen as inferior, you know, like a preview. Yeah, and it, and if you're like, damn, I didn't get to go to the first show, but or to the to the big show, but I get to go to like its little brother the the night before. But I, you know, I don't know. I I just think that there's some uh some things there that might cause the uh, general public to not be so inclined to jump on those tickets right away and this isn't us being critical like the numbers don't lie they didn't sell out immediately like they did for the first show right so um hopefully they do well there and uh hopefully those shows are, are good and fun and you know can't wait to see them uh g1 climax semifinals will be airing thursday on access tv as naito and o and osprey wrestle and uh that will also they'll also be airing the okada and tamatanga match on access uh you know those new japan on access numbers haven't been doing so hot since they returned yeah it was not what it was back in the day um i mean they're still getting some viewers so um it, it's yeah, some we, exposure we we're talking a big game we we're like damn dog they did a replay and y'all beat impact this is incredible when they come back they're gonna mop you boys Nope, it has not been that way at all. No, not at all. <laughs> and the synergy has not helped whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. There's not a huge crossover of people. You know what I think a lot of it is? is like, if you want to watch New Japan, most people have New Japan World that want to watch New Japan. Right, yeah, at this point, like, why wait a month? Like, these are old matches, like, a month old matches. Why are you going to wait watching on Access when you just get New Japan World and just watch it live when it happened or watch the replay there. I wonder if they're still airing on Roku. Dude, who even knows? <laughs> well, the video quality is a lot better. I will say that. Mm. But uh, um, Other fun, exciting news. In the Battle of Eras, Tatsumi Fujinami, age 68, will do a singles match on December 1st at the Yoyogi Gym in Tokyo against the Ace of the Universe, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Tanahashi grew up idolizing Fujinami, so the show is promoted by Fujinami's Tradition Promotion, which uses uses a lot of New Japan stars from the 80s. So uh, it's been quite a while since Fujinami has worked a full-on, you know, outright singles match. And uh, I'm, this isn't 
quote-unquote his retirement match by any means, but this definitely kind of gives me some of those um, Tenru versus Okada vibes from, you know, a few years back when he retired. Uh, but it is a, uh, it's a major match because, like like uh, the notes say here, Tanahashi did grow up idolizing Fujinami. They're two of the most important names in all of Pororazu history. And, you know, it is a generational match of, like, the ace of the 80s taking on the ace of, like, the 2000s and 10s. Um, something that I never thought would happen. And it's going to be very interesting to see how how the match, you know, turns out i mean fujinami i don't i think he's obviously seen much better days but for a guy his age i thought he i feel like uh in his recent um you know outings in new japan he's been more impressive than you would think from someone that's 68 yeah we've seen him a handful of times this year you know celebrating the 50th anniversary of new japan he's been in several multi-man matchups but yeah for a 68 year old um he's you know looked pretty decent and um, can Kale still put a match together, still hit those dragon screws. And so also with a guy like Tanahashi, you know, both these guys are master workers. And I think um, Tanahashi, even though, you know, Tanahashi is on the downswing, I think he can still be able to put a match together to, to deal with Fujinami's, uh, you know, downswing and put something together that's really fun. Uh, we had something else here on the docket, but I don't have enough information to really expound on it. So I'm going to skip over that. Maybe when we uh, get some more clarification, we can talk about it. Um, but in other news, this coming Thursday, we have the strong tag team champs Aussie Open as they face off against the Motor City Machine Guns in a number one contenders match for the I for, <laughs> for the Impact Wrestling Tag Team titles at Bound for Glory. So hypothetically... We could have a situation where these guys, Aussie Open, end up being triple crown champions anyways. They could win the Impact World titles, hold the strong titles, and regain the IWGP titles from FTR on behalf of New Japan, making them triple champions simultaneously. Yeah, I mean, that is a possibility. That would be pretty cool. Aussie Open, these guys have been having a great year. They're a phenomenal tag team. Uh, one of my favorite teams to watch this year. So, yeah, it'd be pretty cool. And then um, last bit of news, Rev Pro Saturday, October 22nd. Minoru Suzuki is confirmed to be making his return and wrestling against Dan Maloney. Is that part of the uh, British J Cup? I think so. On the graphic, there was no show title, so I'm not sure. Okay. So it might be a part of that whole British J Cup weekend. One other thing it's not on the news here. Do we want to talk about the recent Chris Dickinson news? Sure, yeah, we can talk about that. So uh, Chris Dickinson, as several, most of you should know by now, Chris Dickinson, he did a, a, a surprise angle at one of the strong tapings where he attacked Fred Rosser after the Fred Rosser-TJP title match. And then on the tapings after that, they did a Fred Rosser versus Chris Dickinson strong title match. Now, for both of those tapings, they did not advertise Chris Dickinson, and it's kind of one of those situations where it seems like New Japan is trying to, you know, skirt around the controversy. Um, as you know, Dickinson, he um, is dealing with some sexual um, abuse. Um, I think it's physical abuse, mostly. Yeah, physical abuse uh, claims from former um, partners and uh, the, it's in court right now. He, he's suing them, and there's a whole court case, you know, that's happening for that. And 
during when that news came out, you know, New Japan, he had just signed a, a contract with New Japan, but then they stopped using him, and it was brought up in all the lawsuit stuff that, you know, that his contract was pretty much, you know, made null because New Japan wasn't booking him. Um, but it just seems kind of sketchy with the way they kind of went around not advertising him. And, and uh, you know, from their standpoint, they could say, well, we didn't want to spoil the angle of him attacking Rosser. And then the, the angle hasn't aired, so we don't want to advertise that he's going to be at the taping. So we don't want people to, quote, unquote, be spoiled that he's going to be the next strong uh, title challenger. Yeah, I mean, there is some quote-unquote deniability, of course, uh, considering New Japan's history of, like, protecting their kayfabe show-to-show. By all means, that is a possibility. But you have to consider what it looks like for the consumer. Uh, And, I mean, when you are spending your money to attend a show and there's a wrestler for better or for worse, whether you think he's the worst person in the world, whether you don't care what happened, whether you're indifferent, uh, whether you're convinced that he is guilty, putting all that aside, if he's not advertised for the show, you have no way as a consumer to determine for yourself whether you want to make the choice to vote with your your money and your dollars as to whether you want to attend the show and see him um and so they kind of took that power away from the audience and instead on two occasions now have snuck him onto the show now neither of these things have aired just yet but it's my belief just based on the fact that he's tied up in the title scene and it's made social media you know via other you know the people that are in the crowd like sort of taking i don't want to call it fan cam but like uh you know videos with their phone we already kind of know that this is happening and it, it's not like for instance it's not like the marty scroll situation where it was hap- where it happened in a closed audience tape door where like we we will never see that footage because you know they decided not to do it at this point it's like it's fred rosser it's the strong title and hundreds and hundreds of people in both occasions saw the angle play out. So I assume that they're going to move forward with it. Uh, So I do think that that's kind of scummy, whatever their reasoning was one way or the other, that the audience wasn't given the opportunity to make that decision for themselves as to whether they want to support a company or attend a show that has someone that, you know, potentially is a, a, you know, perpetrator of domestic violence. Right. And, you know, from New Japan side, you know, maybe for them, maybe they have enough evidence or maybe because of the court case or, or maybe because he hasn't, you know, been arrested or, you know, legally, quote unquote, hasn't done anything wrong for them to, to not use him. Right. Fine. If, they, if that's what they think is the case. Fine, but at the very least, you need to advertise him then. If you guys are going to use him, just go ahead and advertise him. Because like you said, then you give the the ticket buyer an option. If somebody doesn't want to go to a show that's featuring Chris Dickinson, somebody um, you know accused of alleged domestic abuse, then they have the choice of not buying that ticket, not going to that show. But then to do these shows, advertise all these stuff, and then not 
mention him at all, and then all of a sudden you get a surprise angle and then a surprise title match. It's like, it's just not right. Yeah, and there was something in the litigation that, uh, like you kind of alluded to, where he was saying that these allegations that have come out against him have affected his professional career, which no doubt they definitely have. Um, but he sort of said that they affected his contract with New Japan. Um, I, I can't say this for certain. I mean, we don't really know what kind of contract he may or may not have had. We we do know that there are various different kinds of agreements that New Japan has with their various talents, especially when it comes to the U.S. side of things. But it sounds to me like he may have been signed to like a per date deal, right. you know? And um, I am wondering if part of this, like you mentioned, Jeremy, has to do with contractual obligations that New Japan might have where they don't want to get sued or they don't want to have litigation. And so they're trying to find ways to fulfill the contract without, you know, uh, upsetting the fan base, but also not um, putting it completely out there that they are using the guy, like trying to keep it low key and under the radar at the same time. One, one thing you didn't mention is maybe they are cutting ties with him and this is their way of like jobbing him out of the territory, quote unquote, and right. kind of writing him off so that they're not going to use him going forward. Right. Burning the dates on those con- on that contract so they can kind of wipe their hands of him officially. Right. Now, make no mistake about it. When we when we offer these explanations, these are not excuses that we're presenting to you saying why New Japan is potentially in the, the, the right here. Uh, because I don't have enough information to say whether they're completely in the wrong or not. The only thing I can criticize, and it's the same thing you said, Jeremy, is that regardless of what these situations are, they should have at least had enough credibility and decency to advertise the guy. Even if you don't want to advertise a match, you should have something that says appearances from Chris Dickinson or featuring Chris Dickinson. At the very, very, very least. I mean, I feel like that as a uh, promoter of a wrestling show, you know, that's something that needs to be done, especially considering his particular situation. So um, I, I guess we're going to keep following it as it unfolds and it'll be interesting. But, you know, all, all the situations that you that both of us kind of presented, I think they're all plausible given the history of New Japan. I mean, it is possible that they don't, care <laughs> i mean we saw that they try to bring mario's girl back <laughs> right and in the past they've worked with the gaijins that other companies didn't want to work with for similar situations and in japan we've seen them use you know not just them but other companies use undesirables like michael elgin and things like that so there's that possibility where the things that are happening with wrestlers in the west don't affect their bottom line quite as much so they don't really care that's a possibility. There's a possibility that there's contractual obligations that they're trying to circumnavigate and fulfill at the same time. There's the possibility that, uh, you know, who knows there that maybe they did do an internal investigation and they feel that things are fulfilled based on their findings for better, or for worse, whether that's correct or not. All those things are plausible, but we don't have enough information. The only thing I do know is for some people, it's not a good look to 
put your money down and show up at a show and then have this guy show up and you didn't know about it. And then how does that reflect on the company and the brand and your, your entertainment as a, you know, a patron who's put down your cold, hard cash. I don't think that's right. Right. They should, they should have the option to at least know. And if they want to continue to buy the ticket, go ahead. And if they want to not go to the show, they should have the right not to go to the show. Right. And if your answer to that is like, well, if, every wrestling company has to advertise every person that's going to be on the show before they show up. That's going to ruin the surprises. Well, my answer to that is like, not everybody that's a wrestler has these kinds of charges and allegations being, you know, fought in court actively at the, at the same time, you know, it's not quite the same thing. So I do think that you have to kind of uh, deal with that very differently. And it, that is something about new Japan in the past. When it comes to issues that are very taboo or very serious when it comes to domestic uh, wrestlers and the domestic culture, they deal with those issues swiftly. We've seen wrestlers' entire careers get careened and put on halt and hold for all sorts of like things that became public knowledge over in Japan. But when it comes to Western wrestlers, it's never really been the same. And I think, it, again, it's because they're a Japanese domestic company, but when you have international shows and international audiences and you're uh, marketing yourself to that um, demographic, you, you kind of also have to take those things into consideration. Yeah. Well, like we mentioned, we'll keep following that story and we'll discuss more as more details come out. Let's uh, move on to some mailbag questions here. Uh, so first set of questions comes from user White in the Discord. Uh, says, you have said previously that there are too many members of Bullet Club. Which members would you keep in what role in BC? What would you do with the ones kicked out of BC? Straight up release them from NJPW, form a new faction, etc. Oh, man, that's one of those uh, fantasy booking questions. I'm not really always great at the fantasy booking stuff, but... Uh... You know, I got to tell you, I, I, I would get rid of Bullet Club and I would have gotten rid of Bullet Club like five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's the real answer. I wouldn't have had a Bullet Club. Um, before we end, I mean, Jeremy, let me ask you, what what are the aside like what are the I know that I'm not saying there's been no positives. There's definitely been some positives, but since the elite left. When was that? 2017, 2018? That would have been 20, 2019, January. Okay. And you know what? I felt like that that whole thing felt super convoluted and, and bloated at that time too. But let's just I think that this current iteration kind of got formed after they left the company. Right. So let's just kind of take it from there. Not saying that one's better than the other because I think that that iteration had issues as well. But uh, what are the positives that have come out of the Bullet Club since that period, since, like, late 2018, early 2019? I mean, I guess it's been a vehicle for Jay White to to lead a faction. Uh, Yeah, I could agree with that. It's been merchandise sales. Any Uh, any other breakout stars? Anything else notable, memorable, big feuds, angles? 
I mean, it's, I mean, it's pretty much all House Jay, torture. All Jay White, all, all Jay White's title matches, G, Jay White in G1 finals, you know, marching out with the whole Bull Club to face Ibushi. Uh, if you really are high on the evil stuff, you might, you know, be voicing up, but you, you kind of know how this, like, how this podcast feels about that. I would say the only real major thing that has occurred in that period is Jay White. Yeah. Um, I mean, G.O.D. had a memorable run, but I don't think that there's anything that's happened within the Bullet Club that couldn't have happened if these guys had been wearing different colors and been under a different banner, aside from Jay White leading a faction. And I don't know that he really needed to lead Bullet Club in general. Like, I'm almost of the opinion that I wish they would have just moved on from Bullet Club and done something different at this point. Just entirely across the board and the only real positive thing you can point to is jay white and part of me also feels like jay white isn't where jay white should be in 2022 anyways yeah i think part of that is dealing with just the pandemic and how long it took for him to finally get back in japan and stuff like that some Uh, of it yeah but not all of it yeah and (laughs) i think yeah they could have they could have created a new faction for Jay. Like they didn't have to do Bullet Club. I think it probably would have made more sense at that time for Jay to kind of create his own unit in his image instead of carrying on the whole uh, Bullet Club mantle. But besides that, I mean, yeah, it's pretty much been a promotional vehicle for Jay White. He's the main guy. He's the main star. Everything that's surrounding Bullet Club surrounds him. Like you mentioned, there really hasn't been anybody new elevated there was there's no you know hangman page really in this group um there's no like cody there's no um you know team no no guys there's no like you know a young kenny omega or a fertile devitt there's no none of these guys that are really bro their young guy is juice (laughs) like currently like i don't know well actually that's not true you know who the young guy is like uh, Chris, Chris Bay. Bay and, uh, and Ace, Ace Austin. Company. Yeah, like the two guys that aren't even in the company, like working for the company currently, are like the, you know, the big guys in the group right now. Um, well, let's just take a look at like see who's still in the group. So you got Fale, Owens, Dick Togo, Evil, Ghetto, Kenta, Sho, Ishimori, Yujiro, Ace Austin, Chris Bay, Doc Gallows, Hikaleo, El Fantasmo, Jay White, Juice Robinson, and Carl Anderson. God. Um, uh, I mean, right off the bat, I'm cutting House of Torture. All four of those guys can go. See, and this is why it's hard for me to answer and why I went on that little bit of a rant, because I feel like Bullet Club as a vehicle has really ran its course entirely. So it is hard for me to really... Could I soup them up by picking out the members I think would be best? Yeah, but how do I shape that narrative? And what's the thing tying those guys together as opposed to any other? You know what I mean? Where do we? Make, how do we make money off this? Yeah. And I, and I feel like that ship is passed. Um, I guess if I'm going a little derivative here, my answer to that question would be this. You... Go back to the roots. You get rid of the guy, uh, the the domestic Japanese members all together, all of them, including Kenta. And you give Bullet Club a mission statement, which is 
whatever it was originally, you know, to shake things up and be the big bad guys. And I think you kick out Jay White. Mm. And I think you build it around ELP. And I would go with an entirely Gaijin stable. I would kick out. Um, but then who are you left with? <laughs> That's the hard part. Then you're left with Fale, Chase, um, Chris Bay, Ace Austin, Hikaleo. All I can tell you is I would build it around ELP. <laughs> and I, you might want to pull some guys into the group and kick a lot of guys out. I don't, I honestly feel like uh bull club is one of the most fucked up groups in the entire company and like hard to salvage. Yeah. I mean, it's just over bloated. You have a lot of guys, you know, like you just kind of hanging around uh Balak Fale. Um, yeah, I mean, like people are really critical of chaos, and I I see why for sure, and I think chaos has largely run its course as well. But at least they kind of make sense. Bullet Club doesn't really make sense. It's just a bunch of uh, you know, what were the what were the bad guys in um Power Rangers called uh, putty patrol? The putties, yeah. This is a bunch of fucking putties, bro. Like a bunch <laughs> of dudes that just lose. Yeah. And and the guys that are like stars, quote unquote, they're not even that big of stars, and they're kind of old. Yeah. Even like Ishimori and Kenta. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what you do with this group. I would disband it. Yeah. Sometimes you 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 need to do addition by subtraction, and I think you need to just bullet club is. That was a, a 2013 thing, man. Like, it's done. <laughs> yeah, for me, I, I, I cut House of Torture. I get rid of the Good Brothers. Um, so, I mean, if you were just going to keep the group as it is and make it as strong as possible, I guess I guess we could just do it that way. Yeah. You cut Fale. You cut Dick Togo. You cut Evil. You cut, I don't know, you keep Gato as a mouthpiece? Yeah, he can be a Mandria. Yeah. You keep Chase Owens, you cut him. I probably cut him. Yeah, cut. And what? You keep Kenta? Yeah. You keep Show? Mm, nah. Bro, it's Show. Show's the only guy with upside that's young in the group. He's he's been tainted. There's, <laughs> there's, there's no there's no <laughs> salvaging Show. All right, so you cut Show. You cut Yujiro. You keep Taiji Shimori? Yeah. And then what are you going to do with Ace Austin and Chris Bay? Keep them. All right. And then you cut Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson? Yeah. You cut Hikaleo or you keep him? I keep Hikaleo. He fills a fall spot. And you got ELP, Jay, and Juice. You keep all those guys? Yeah. All right. So your your bullet club is Juice, Jay White, ELP, Hikaleo, Ace Austin, Chris Bay, Taiji Shimori, and Ghetto. Yeah. I don't know, man. That does, and, and, Kenta, and Kenta. That does, I'd keep it a little tighter than that. I don't know. <laughs> this whole thing sucks, honestly. Like Yeah, man, I'm not I'm not feeling it. <laughs> uh, and that's and then to answer the rest of it, it's like 
there's so many members. How am I supposed to talk about like forming other groups and where they would go? You know, it's it's just too many uh too many different trails to go down. I, my answer is very legitimately get rid of Bullet Club, mm. and it has been for a long time because yeah. they're not the Bullet Club anymore. Yeah. Uh, moving on to his next question, he says, "Do you think there's any chance Gato won't have Okada win the belt at the Dome in January at Wrestle Kingdom?" Yeah, I think there's a good likely, a good likelihood that that's a possibility. I'm not saying it's for sure, but it, it's definitely on the table. Yeah, I mean, you can never count out Okada um, in a big match, uh, especially after continuing to try to recoup uh, revenue from the pandemic. He's the biggest star. You got to get the most juice out of the squeeze. So I, I definitely would see that as a possibility. But everything that you said makes it sound like Okada is going to win. And he's asking, won't win. Mm. And I think, yeah, it's a high likelihood Okada wins the belt back. But then again, we're not going into a 50th year. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it depends on who the opponent is. If it's Jay White, I think he's beating Jay White. But unless you want to do a third Wrestle Kingdom match with them and you set up that story, like, you know, uh, <laughs> If you had Jay White win, you could do a story where it's like, okay, Jay comes in as champion, right? And mm-hmm. it kind of mirrors the Wrestle Kingdom 9 match between Tanahashi and Okada, right? Right. And what happened in that match? Tanahashi, the old guard won and told the young stud, you're still not on my level. And then he had to basically work his way back till the next year to where he finally could defeat Tanahashi for the third time on the big stage and and stake his claim. Well, we've already gotten Jay White and Okada once previously, and Jay White beat him. So if you did it this time, you think that Okada's in the Tanahashi role, but what if they subvert that narrative and it's like he loses to Jay White again? And it's like the only guy other than Tanahashi that's like beat him twice in the dome back to back. Now it's like, damn, like he can beat Jay White, but he can't beat Jay White in the dome. And then Jay White's been able to be like, I'm the only guy that's beaten Okada so decisively in the dome, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then there's juice for them to do a third match either the next year or in several years, you know, that you know how they love to do trilogy matches. Yeah. There is a possibility of that happening. Yeah, I, I definitely could see that. Yeah, with Jay kind of being the one guy that really has Okada's number time and time again, yeah, that could be the, the way they go. And for everyone that's, like, complaining about how Jay should be a bigger star, they need to invest in the guy and go with him, what better way for them to go with him than to have him, like, upset the expectations and have him beat Okada on the biggest stage? I mean, if Okada beats him again, that's expected. If he beats Okada, now they got a story. Right, and it'd be a pretty big deal, too, having a foreigner win in the main event, leaving with the championship, closing night. Yeah, uh, there's also the possibility, I've, I'm of the opinion that we might see Naito retain, regain the title between now and Wrestle Kingdom. Could Naito be the guy that goes in with the title and defeats Okada? Yeah. I think that's a possibility. Yeah. So, uh, moving on. Next question here from 
R-I-J-J-J says, you can only keep two. His name's Ridge. Ridge. Uh, you can only keep two, Will Ospreay, Jay White, or Okada. Bear in mind, Okada probably has less years left than him. Who are you picking? Ospreay and Okada. What are you talking about? That's easy. <laughs> That's like the easiest question we've ever had. Yeah, I'm also, yeah, I would choose Ospreay and Okada. I love Jay, but I mean, Ospreay and Okada are just incredible. I'm, I, I really like Jay White too, but it's Will Ospreay and Kazushka Okada. <laughs> <laughs> What's a comp? This is like asking, like, okay, you got Rock and Austin, and then Triple H. And keep in mind, Rock and Austin only got a couple years left on them. Who are you keeping? <laughs> Rock and Austin. <laughs> keeping Rock and Austin. What are you talking about? Oh man. Uh, but, but Triple H is gonna be around for a decade. Yeah, I seen it. It's not good. I want Rock and Austin. <laughs> Austin will be back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Less Commission 7252, if you guys were to have your big first breakout singles match in New Japan, which competitor would be your number one choice? I would have to choose Robbie Eagles. I'm confused. Is he asking who I want to have a breakout match yeah, so in if, New Japan if with? Me, or... If me and you were wrestlers and we got signed by New Japan, who would you want as your first breakout singles match? Is that what he's saying or is he asking... For one of these guys, like if he's saying, is he saying that Robbie Eagles needs to have a breakout standout? Match? Okay, I see what you're saying. You see, I don't know what he's asking one way or the other. I don't know if he's if he's asking for us to be the wrestlers or for us to pick a wrestler to have the standout match themselves. Gotcha. You know, that's like a true quote unquote star making performance, right? I think it might be the second one. Yeah, because I'm like, why is he? Because I don't, I don't want to. I don't know who I would want. To, I'd be scared to wrestle anybody in New Japan. I mean, I I mix it up with Shingo. <laughs> yeah, right. Get, get a, I would never got a great first match. If I had to pick anybody, it would be Ishii, just because it's Ishii, and you know it's going to be good. Like you could really suck, and it's still going to be good because it's Ishii. So yeah, you know, uh, better, better, better safe than sorry. But as far um, as somebody on the actual roster that needs a uh, breakout match. Ooh, um, probably Phantasmo. Hmm, that's a good one. Um, I'm gonna say Great Ocon. That's that's another good choice too, and I think those are two guys that they're heavily invested in that really haven't had that quite yet. I mean, they both had very good matches, but uh, especially the Eagles um, ELP, ELP match. match, but on like that big stage where everyone's seen it and it's really mattered and it's been a big deal. It's, it hasn't happened yet for either of those two guys. Yeah. He also asked what shapeshift teams could we expect in this year's world tag league? Tanahashi and young lion. Uh, probably. Yeah. Cause you know, there's no Hanare for Tanahashi to team up with. Yeah. So maybe Tanahashi and his clone, Yuya Yuimura. Dude, that that would actually be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I can't. Um, nothing really. Cause I feel like a lot of guys are gonna be. You can get great bash heel. You can get Bishamon. Like it's gonna be like ten bullet club teams. I think it's gonna be a lot of the same teams that we're used to seeing. And um, I I don't know. I'm I'm never good at predicting the World Tag League teams. It's never <laughs> what I expect. 
Uh, his last question, do you guys think that the fans in the U.S. are the most selfish people in the wrestling industry right now? I, I guess. I don't know. How would I answer that? I don't know what people in other countries and in the wrestling industry are like. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Is there, is there something recent that happened that's making him think that? I think it's definitely possible because of the excesses of North America and the United States and the entitlement of wrestling fans. And you see the tribalism that is deeply embedded in the AEW and WWE fan bases and the nonsense that goes on with their, you know, these audiences and the behavior that you see online. Sure. But it's hard for me to be the, the one to, uh, decide that they are the absolute worst when i don't speak japanese i don't know what the japanese domestic audience is you know but do i think they're probably as bad probably not but i don't really know yeah i mean just based off of twitter comments i, I would say maybe yeah, the u.s could be more selfish i feel like, like the whole like okada thing the japanese were like very like happy and excited that he won where western fans were complaining why are they selfish though? Like, what did what did they do that was so selfish? I, I don't know. I don't know either. I here's the thing. I don't really engage with uh. I don't engage with wrestling fans. <laughs> 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 I, if you guys will send us a donation, we'll engage with you, our fans, <laughs> for sure. You know, tell us what you want. We'll hook it up. You know, but uh, I I don't know. Yeah, I, have I don't no know. idea. Uh, moving on to one one way I will say that people are are um, selfish or greedy. A lot of these fans are living through the greatest period of professional wrestling in North America that has ever existed, ever on television, and the amount of accessible wrestling that is available week in and week out, whether it's from Mexico, whether it's from the Indies whether it's from one of these upper minor majors like MLW or Impact or, you know, whoever, whether it's uh, WWE or AEW, there's there's wrestling on every night of the week. And then there's streaming services so you can access New Japan and NOAA and Pro Wrestling Wave and all these companies literally from across the world, everywhere, whenever you want. It's, It's accessible to everybody. And people are always fucking complaining. <laughs> They're just always complaining. And no matter what you do, it, like, for instance, I was listening to uh, Talk is Jericho the other day, and he was talking about how, like, wrestling fans just complain. And he's like, and you just kind of have to live with it because they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And he was like, how do I know this? He's like, they complain about everything we do in the build. We give them all these great matches. They complain the whole time. And then when it's over, they're like, that was great. <laughs> it's like of course it was great because we booked it we know what we were doing and you didn't you know you know you complain from all these you know different angles and you have no idea where we're going instead of just like letting it play out <laughs> you know and it's yeah. like bro i lived in a period where when you watched wrestling it was in an hour probably like six matches most of them were going to be under five minutes it was going to be a dude named like Jack Haysaw, just like in a jacket, standing in the ring, no music, just waiting to get demolished. And then the berserker comes out and he beats his ass and that's it. 
And then at the end of the show, you got one, one good match on Superstars. And it was going to be like Coco Beware versus the Big Boss Man <laughs> in like a 10 minute, you know, match. And that was normal. You know, go back and watch some of those early Raws from 1993, 1994. It's like, they're they're not good. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, Brian and Vinny, they were reviewing a lot of those Raws. And when I hear back from that stuff, I'm like, yikes. <laughs> yeah, bro. It's like, you're living in the in the period where the greatest in-ring product is available to you week in and week out, night in and night out. And all people want to do is complain. It's like, I don't know what to tell you, man. This wrestling's never been as good. Yeah. Uh, moving on to Grunty Dodds is, do you know what the timetable is for Tangaloa's return? If he's not backed by tag league, who should Tam a team with? Jado. Ugh. <laughs> That's his tag team partner. What are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, that would be the option. They wear the same gear. Yeah. Um, You're you're good friends with Tango, Tango Lowe, right? He said, ugh. He said, ugh. I, I am not good friends with Tango Lowe. I've met Tango Lowe, Um, And I, I was actually told the expectation for how long he was out, but I can't remember it. And if I could remember it, I don't think I should say it on the air because I don't know if that's public information. You know, I don't want to betray anyone's trust, but I was, I actually was told the timetable, but I don't remember anymore. Mm. And it, who knows? Maybe that's not accurate any, any longer. So I don't, I have no clue. Yeah. He also asked, which question do you prefer to get? Who was the mole in chaos or what Sonare's workout routine? Next question. <laughs> uh, let's move on. <laughs> That's also up there. He missed out. Uh, when will women come to New Japan? Well, that's actually happening now. Um, moving on to uh, Dayman52. Does Hikaleo have the potential talent ceiling to serve as a monster Gaijin role a la Lance Archer in a few years? I think that hypothetically, if guided the right way with the right seasoning and experience, there's no reason he couldn't be a top guy. Yeah, I mean, he. I don't. I don't think he has to be limited to that particular archetype. Yeah, I mean, he has the size, he has mobility, speed. Like he's a very talented guy, and he's been improving a lot. So if he continues to improve, I think yeah, he could surpass just being that archer guy that squashes some people, but then ultimately eats the big L to whoever the ace is at the time. Yeah, it's funny. We live in an era now where people look at the monsters, quote-unquote, that have been in New Japan. This isn't to disrespect them, but it's not the same as it was back in the day. You know, modern days, you got Fale's, you got Archers, but, like, in the old days, you had Andre's and Vader's. Stan Hansen. And Hansen's, you know? Yeah. It's like, why can't we get back to that where top guys are also monsters? I mean, they love monsters in Japan. It should be like that. Yeah. Uh, also asked, does the increase in cheering slash booing create potential for House of Torture to become more palatable for U.S. audiences? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially if uh, they're able to articulate the whatever it is that we, you know, if we're able to live vicariously through those fans in the audience and, um, you know, we want to boo and they're able to do it and it creates a, a funner, more enjoyable environment for those guys to kind of build off of, 
you know, that's one of the things when you're playing a heel, how do you know if what you're doing is working? If the audience can't react to it, you, you really don't. You, you're just hoping based off of theory that it, it and you know, that it's effective and you don't really know they will become a more effective heel unit as the audience is able to articulate their either approval or disapproval of what they're doing regardless. And that's better for everybody across the board. Right. It's similar to like what Jericho has been saying, you know, during the pandemic when he's wrestling orange Cassidy and orange Cassidy is like, you know, did I sell that move too long? He's like, I don't know. There's, there's no crowd to react to let me know if you, you sold it too long or not. And so similar thing here with house of torture, um, you know, the whole question was, how do we know these guys are getting over? How do we know this whole act is working? And now that we're getting some shows that allowing for cheering and booing and they're getting booed, like there actually seems to be over as a heel act. And it does make their matches easier to watch when you have the crowd booing them, when they are doing things to get heat and they're actually getting the heat. They're getting the crowds to boo them, give them the thumbs down, telling, chanting for them to uh, go home. It, it does make it, it more entertaining. It makes what they're doing actually start to make sense because they're they're getting that that reaction that they're trying to get versus when they when they're doing all this stuff. They're trying to get heat, and people just kind of sit there on their hands because you really don't want to clap for cheating, but you, there's nothing else you can do. Uh, his next question, who does Naito fight at Wrestle Kingdom? Well, there's a big part of me that still is hypothesizing with no real evidence to back this up. I'm just thinking of booking patterns and business. There's a good possibility that he gets into title contention and defeats Jay White for the title. Thus fulfilling the whole promise that him and Okada made to one another, that they're going to face off at Wrestle Kingdom in the main event of the Tokyo Dome. I feel like there's a lot of reasons that that might be the most likely scenario. If that didn't come to pass, um, then all bets are off. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess maybe you could do Tanahashi and Naito in the Dome again for the Never title. Um, what what about a Naito Osprey rematch for the U.S. title if the Omega Osprey thing falls through? Yeah, well, we we really don't know what's happening with Omega, and we don't know if they were even fully planning on ever doing that in the Dome, anyways. I mean, given the way Tony Khan has behaved about certain matches, namely the Tanahashi and uh, Moxley match, it's it's hard to know if he would even let them uh, have a match of that magnitude first time in Japan or not. Um, so, yeah, there is something to that. And we did see them have a, a fantastic G1 match. That's possible. But I'm still holding out hope for that Kenny match. So, yeah, <laughs> that's why I don't want to put are. my, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to put my stamp of approval on that before, uh, before it's, you know, a done deal. Yeah. I don't know what anything else you can think of. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I think Okada is the number one choice for me. And then, then it would be Osprey to follow up, get get you know the win back from that U.S. loss or that G one loss on semifinals. Um, besides that, I would say if it's not those two, maybe an outsider, somebody from AEW. Um, I don't know. I don't. Um, there's also you know you could have Naito be in that 
de facto number one contender match at Wrestle Kingdom. They don't ever call it that, but you know, there's always that big non-title singles match that leads to the first title shot at New Beginning. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they could do something like that. Um, I'll throw out a really off the wall, very unlikely to happen. Uh, Kota Ibushi. Oh, I would cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of which, I mean, should we? I know we're not in the news anymore, but like Kota Ibushi and uh, you know, uh, Kenny Omega, they've been chilling. Yeah, in the, Japan, the, the Golden Lovers have reunited. Thank you, CM Punk. <laughs> Thanks, Ace Steel. <laughs> yeah, so. So they are, uh, you know, back together again. Uh, confirmed run in New Japan incoming. They're going to be in the World Tag League, by the way. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh. They never did it when they were in the company, and they really regretted it, so they're coming back to do it. Kenny, Kenny convinced Ibushi to do, the, it's, do it's, it. It's, it's not that bad. They could, They apologized. You can't wrestle in a triangle ring. You got to come back. <laughs> oh man! And then, uh, likewise, you know, Abushi was like, "I mean, is it worth it to be an EVP? Did anyone ever bite you when you worked in Japan? No, I don't know. Maybe you should come back to the Cerulean Blue. <laughs> Maybe you should be uh, be the star of my triangle ring promotion." <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Um, yeah. Who knows? I don't know who Naito could wrestle. Yeah. I think we throw out some good options. Yeah. Uh, MJ does PR, says mid-card. Oh, Goto. Goto. Just throw him in there with Goto. <laughs> uh, MJ does PR. Mid-card shuffle. If you could remake New Japan's mid-card in your own vision, what would it look like? Who would you push? Who would you downcycle? Huh. Um, I don't know, man. That's hard. These are such open-ended questions sometimes. Um, if there's anybody, I mean, I guess, what are we defining as mid-card? Are we talking about people that, see, I I feel like New Japan's mid-card is very ill-defined currently anyways. Yeah, I feel like, cause, I mean... You could quote unquote classify like Will Ospreay as a mid card because he's holding the U.S. title, but he's clearly he's a main eventer, right? And I don't feel like the Never title or the U.S. title really fulfill the role of being a mid card belt right now. Yeah, you know, they used to be with the white belt. There was degrees. It was like that upper mid card where guys that were on the cusp as well as top guys could all wrestle in that realm. And then people that were generally wrestling for the Never in the U.S. title, you know, were typically, like, in the mid-card, except for, like, Kenny that one time. But after him, most of those guys were kind of mid-carders. Jay White was working his way up, you know. Uh, Cody wasn't uh, – I, I wouldn't call him a main eventer. You know, Juice was in the mid-card. I don't know. Everything's just gotten weird since they got a white belt or got rid of the white belt. Yeah. I mean, for me, kind of same answer from the previous question. I mean, Great Ocon to me is that the main guy that I feel like I would get behind and push and try to elevate him up the card. Me too. But then the question becomes, how do you do that when these titles don't have that defined structure of fulfilling that role, you know? Yeah. 
uh, I guess I would maybe put the never title on him. Yeah. And that might be a good first step. Yeah, you could have him, let's say Tanahashi beats Carl Anderson, you have Okan beat Tanahashi, then I would have Okan have a banger of like Goto and Ishii, some of the, you know, the never legend Shingo, establish him as a bruiser, then you can maybe transition him over to the U.S. title, have him hold that, and then eventually, you know, challenge for the, the world title. I would um, definitely push up, I mean, I don't know, man. <sighs> it This is so tough. Because I feel like the reality is a lot of the guys in New Japan, uh, I don't want to be too critical here, but like what ends up happening a lot of the times is people get slotted, you know, into a particular position in New Japan and then they're just in the pecking order and they're just kind of waiting for the whole entire card to bump up simultaneously when guys leap. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's very rare that you see someone jump the pecking order to a large degree. And that does happen. We've seen it with Osprey and Shingo and others, but it's not that common. Um, I mean, I can tell you a couple guys I think definitely need more focus and, and you know attention. I just don't know how you do it from a business perspective. But Juice is definitely a guy I would push up. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Cobb. Yeah, probably to some degree, Jeff Cobb. I mean, I already feel like he's pretty high up there anyways, to, you know, but maybe it's sort of on again, off again. Yeah. Maybe Tai Chi. Mm, yeah. Guys I would push down? I don't know. A lot of them are already kind of down anyways. Uh, Fale, Chase Owens. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Ujiro. Most most of the guys in Bull Club. Yeah. Uh, his next question says, MJF was on... Ariel Hawani this week and called NJPW dog shit promotion. He mentioned again that he likes great Ocon. He also said that he'd work for any company that would pay him the most except New Japan. This is the second time MJF has said stuff like this. What do you think he's up to? I think he's just working people. Yeah, I mean, obviously MJF does all his stuff in character. He's a heel. He knows that the you know, the smart internet fans love New Japan, so he's going to bury New Japan. He knows a lot of fans don't like Great Okan, so he's going to put over Great Okan. Um, so, yeah, he's just he's just trolling, getting heat, and just getting people to, you know, create articles or clickbait stuff that he says in these interviews. Yeah, and I mean, who knows? He might not like New Japan. True. Now, it, it's definitely plausible and believable. This might just be him turning his character or his opinion up to 11. But, I mean, I don't know. He might not be a guy that really actually likes New Japan, and he's just letting that opinion sort of organically take on a larger-than-life persona, you know, and expressing it that way. I think that's also believable. He doesn't necessarily strike me as a guy that loves Perezu based on some of the stuff he said. But uh, at the same time, I, I think most of this is just it's all work, and it is funny how many people listen to him on, like, say, Ariel Hawani's podcast, and they think he's, like, doing a real, like, interview, and it's clearly all in character. Yeah. <laughs> now, and I'm not saying that's you, MJ, does PR. I'm just saying that I saw that sentiment quite a bit just across the, the internet, and I'm like, you guys, have you guys never watched MJ does P- or uh, MJF before? Like, it's kind of his deal. 
Yeah, he totally has worked so many people in a circle. It's with all the interviews he's been doing this week. Uh, moving on to Rambone Slam Pig says, was Kenny's visit to Ibushi the catalyst for Ibushi to reignite his passion for pro wrestling, return to NJPW, and regain the world heavyweight title? Um, You know, we got to let it play out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it could be, you know, they, they start talking about old times and DDT and yeah, maybe Ibushi's like, all right, I'm ready. Um, yeah, I mean, I would love for Ibushi to come back. The The latest report was that his shoulder is slowly healing, so that's a good sign. Yeah. But whether he comes back to New Japan, I mean, the last report we heard was he's not expected to return it at all, so. Yeah. Uh, next question here, he says, the current crop of young lions on excursion are an exciting bunch. Which current or past stars do you think each of the following is most reminiscent of? Yuyamura, Renarita, Yotosuji, and Shota Umino. Ooh, great question. Well, I think the first easiest one, Renarita, is clearly like a Shibata. Shibata, yeah. Then, um, you know, Sota, Yotosuji reminds me a lot of... Um, Oh man, why does this always happen to me on the air where I forget words and names? Um, Takiyama. Mm. He reminds me, Yota Suji reminds me a lot of Takiyama. Just kind of like that big, brooding, you know, heavy duty type of dude. Plus they both have long hair. I don't know. And, you know, uh, Takiyama, when he was young, he was like kind of like a slender muscular build like suji and then he put on the weight as he got older so i don't know there's a lot of uh comparisons there but yumura and umino that's a tough one because they both kind of remind me of tanahashi a bit yeah i think yumura i definitely get that real like the young like 2012 2013 tanahashi vibes um i've also gotten like Fujinami vibes from mm. Yumura in the past. I've also gotten Sonata vibes from Yumura in the past. Yeah. Um, if if I had to choose between the two of them and say which one reminded me more of Tanahashi, it's Yumura. But he also kind of reminds me of those other three wrestlers I mentioned. As far as Umino goes, I don't know. I think definitely like the his present, like the kind of like the the attire and the entrance, and it's kind of Tanahashi. Yeah. Um, well, maybe I go with Yumura, I go more of a Fujinami, and then with Umino, I go more of a Tanahashi. Just, you know, make it easy. Yeah. Boom. All right. That wraps it up for. You know, you skipped all of the uh, Twitter questions. You want me to read those? <laughs> oh, there was, there was Twitter questions? I, I got Rambo and Slam Pig. I didn't see any. Yeah. So. Um... We had a question from Oscar Rooney. He asked, does New Japan have the best overall merch in all of wrestling? And he sent us a picture of the recent LIJ vinyl, like, bomber jacket. The black and gold one with the red trim. Mm. Yeah, man. And I, I got to tell you, I, I don't like New Japan's uh, merch across the board, just generally speaking. I think some stuff is good. Like the bomber jackets are cool. Some shirts are cool. I think it's hit or miss depending on the wrestler. I feel like that's true. But by and large, there are cool items for sure. 
But most of the stuff I see that comes out of there looks, I don't know. I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but most of it to me just doesn't look very cool. It looks kind of lazy. But then again, maybe I'm the wrong audience. I don't like most wrestling merch. <laughs> I do like wrestling merch. And even, I don't have a ton of New Japan. I have a bunch of Lionmark shirts. and I love the Lionmark shirts. They're timeless. Yeah, I have a bunch of Bullet Club shirts. Um, but like Tanahashi's merch is not really great. Ishii's merch is not great. Like a lot of my favorites, like don't really have the best design merch. I've noticed that their hats and jackets and hoodies seem to be cooler than yes, the, but like their shirts, I don't really like the shirts very much. Yeah. Also, they overcharge. Well, maybe they don't overcharge, but maybe it's because of an international thing. But like generally speaking, their merch is so so much more expensive than everyone else's. Yeah, on the uh, Tokon shop. Well, even like when they come to town. Oh yeah, like live event. When, yeah, yeah. When they're charging live events and they have domestic shit, it's like so expensive. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, next question from Mark O'Brien, Mark Nato, nineteen ninety. He said, "What are your favorite types of finishers? Slam slash grapples, strikes, top rope dives, submissions, and what is your favorite of each in New Japan?" I like submissions because the crowd really gets into it, and it's not as predictable that someone wins after hitting it. Hmm, that's a good uh, question there. Um, I think for me, I think strikes can be um, good finishers because I feel like you hit the big strike; it can kind of come come out of nowhere. Um, I don't really think anybody really has a finisher. Well, I guess the hidden blade for like Will Ospreay. Um, it's really devastating, and it just kind of comes out of nowhere sometimes. I like them all. I I can't lie. Like, there's not one that I like more than the other necessarily. Uh, maybe that's me cheating a bit, but you know, uh, I like when guys come off the top top rope. I like when guys tap a motherfucker out. I like when someone gets knocked out. I like when someone gets hit with the last of the dragon. Like, I like this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong if you have the right move in all those categories. Um. What is your favorite submission hold finisher in New Japan? Um, let's see. I'm trying to think right now who all has submission finisher. I mean, there's not really a ton of submission finishers in New Japan right now, I feel like. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying I mean, to think got, of them. You got like the skull end, which I, don't, I hate that. Yeah, I'm uh, not a big skull end fin- fan either. I like the, the stretch plum that Taichi does. Yeah. But it's not all of his finish, though. Uh, for me, it's probably got to be one of Zach's finishers. But yeah. he, they're so crazy, I don't ever know what to call them because they have weird names and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, that would probably be my answer, is just Zach tapping people out. <laughs> right. Zach is grabbing a bunch of body parts and twisting them. Um, favorite top rope finisher. I think for me, it's still high fly flow regardless. You can do whatever you want to do. I like the high fly flow. Yeah, I think, right again, right now, there's not a whole ton of top rope finishers, I think. I feel like most people are really kind of grapple-based right now. Yeah, high fly flow, I can't, nothing else is, oh, Jonah's um, splash is pretty cool. I, I can think of a few, you know. Um, Watto comes off and does the... Oh, uh, the RPP, Yeah. Yeah, there's there's definitely I e- mean, ELP's uh, a star star uh, star kiss eighty six. Yeah, 
there's 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 lots of them out there, but I mean, high fly flow is a high fly flow. Yeah, that that's probably that's like the ace finish. <laughs> uh, as far as a strike finisher, I mean, I think it's I think we're both probably gonna say the uh, hidden blade. The hidden blade. I mean, that thing is just so devastating looking. Yeah, and I can't think of a. There are some really great strikes in New Japan, but. That's like the one that's like holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then finally, like a slam or a grapple, which you know that's your traditional big finisher in New Japan. Uh, what What's your favorite? Uh, I'd probably say Last of the Dragon right now. Yeah, it might be Last of the Dragon. Um, I don't know. It might just be Rainmaker. Mm. I like the Rainmaker. I also like. Uh, I mean, I like the Hidden Blade. Yeah, I like uh, Tour of the Islands. Yeah, Tour of the Islands is good. Stormbreakers, great. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Last of the Dragons is probably the coolest one. Well, you know Ma- what? Made I, in Japan is better than Leah. You like Made in Japan better than Last of the Dragon? Yeah. Oh, I don't. I like Last of the Dragon better. I actually like when um, Ishii just hits someone with a Brain Buster. Yeah, Brain Buster is cool. Also, gotch style pile driver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a ton of great, so, great finish. Next question: If New Japan had a War Games match, who would you like to see in it? Um. Uh. Well, there's also tons of factions. I I think probably the the most compelling, if you're going by the groups, would probably be like maybe Chaos versus United Empire. So you could do like Okada, Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi. Um, I guess maybe Yano against Osprey, Cobb, Okan, and Aussie Open. Okay, so how many people would be in yours? Four or five? I did five. Okay, and who would it be? So it'd be Chaos, it'd be Okada, Goto, Ishii, Yoshihashi. And Yano against United Empire team of Will Ospreay, Jeff Cobb, Great Ocon, and Aussie Open. That's a good one. Um, dang, that's really, really good. Um, you know, this is my favorite, uh, like match type is the War Games match, but I've never, I haven't put too much thought about who should be in one of these things. Um, I think I would definitely do LIJ, though. Mm. And so that means that would make it pretty easy because then you've got Hiromu, Shingo, um, Naito, Naito, and then Sonata. And And if you wanted to get cute, you could throw in Bushi. It's up to you. Or you could do the four guys. And then I would probably do them against either Chaos or United Empire. Um, I might go United Empire. Yeah, that sounds great, actually. Yeah, LIJ, United Empire. Yeah, and I mean, then you could do, then you have Osprey, Okan, and um, Cobb, and. What's his face? Uh, Hanare. Hanare. 
I would. I mean, you could throw in the um, Aussie Open if you want to, but I feel like if you keep the original four guys, though they're pretty fucking awesome. So yeah. <laughs> and then, if you want to throw the kicker in, you know, I I think I'd just keep it to those four. I think I would keep it. Uh, the four main guys from LIJ and then the original four guys from United Empire. That'd be my match right yeah, now. That sounds great. Awesome. Uh, yeah, that I wish that could happen. It's never going to happen. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Next question from the Broken Poet 1. He said, probably too late, but what's the deal with UK show being on tape delay? I know Fight was terrible the first time, but NJPW could have covered it live right even um, the fight stuff is getting a bit better, so why do you think it's on delay? Bash. Yeah, I'm not sure yet. It's going to be on video on demand on New Japan World. Not sure what the reasoning is for that. Uh, maybe there were some production costs, maybe, that New Japan just wasn't willing to the front to get a stream live, whether it be on World or through Fight TV, and maybe they thought it's just better if we record it live a tape and then have the ability to edit it and make sure it's all good and put it out afterwards. Um, besides that, I can't really think of any other reason why they wouldn't just straight up do it live. Yeah. I think all those are plausible. We don't really know, but considering how many issues they had last time they did Royal quest and all the issues they've had with fight since then, I'm guessing they, and then also the issues they had with, the last Nashville show that was on fight as well probably tells me that they're like, you know what, instead of losing money by having to pay refunds and having people unhappy, yada, yada, maybe we should just tape this thing and make sure it's compiled and put together and presentable when we actually charge people for it, as opposed to giving people a subpar experience out the gate. And, you know, having them pay and having a reputation messed up and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think that's possible. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. And I think that is going to do it for the questions this week. Nice. Uh, yeah. Sorry for those Twitter guys that kind of came in last minute there. They didn't double check them. So you're welcome boys. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank the young boy for putting you guys over this week. Um, so yeah, so that's it for the questions. Let's close off here with recommended match of the week. So last week for the excursion match, I recommended June Kasai versus El Desperado from Taka Taichi Despi Mania. Okay. Well, um, Jeremy, did you get a chance to check this match out as well? Yes, I did. Okay. So, I mean, I kind of gave a quasi brief uh review last week um but what were your overall thoughts and then i can kind of like pipe in as well this match was absolutely insane um (laughs) these guys were just doing the the wildest craziest stuff um and it's you know your death match stuff with the the skewers they had the you know the board with the, the cans that are you know tore um cut up and uh, doing moves onto that. Um, they had like those um, kind of like plywood boards things. They had the barbed wire, um, the barbed wire board, which, you know, 
Despy's mask got caught in towards the beginning, and Junkasai just used that to kind of rip up Despy's mask. But yeah, pretty much you think it, you name it, every weapon, every plunder thing they they had, it was a bloody, crazy brawl, tons of crazy high spots. And you know, initially when I first started watching it, I'm like, man, this is just a crazy, you know, deathmatch high spot. But then. As the match went on, I felt they really told a compelling story. They really got the crowd behind Desperado. He was kind of the underdog here. And there was a closing stretch of the match where Junkasai was just hitting this guy with, like, move after move after move. Like, he did his big splash from the top. He was doing all his big signature spots. And Despy kept kicking out, kept kicking out. And you're like, oh, like, it kind of felt like one of those closing stretches where, oh, June's going to put him away by hitting a really big move. And he'd he'd keep hitting bigger moves, but Despy would keep kicking out, which led to the closing sequence, and eventually Desperado kind of getting getting the big win after hitting the the J-Driller and then hitting um, the Pinche Loco. Yeah. Um, you, You pretty much summed up my thoughts on this match. I was just so wowed and impressed but also kind of uh, frightened and taken back all at the same time uh i mean i'm no stranger to deathmatch wrestling but it's not necessarily my forte or something that i i'm in love with you know it's not something i regularly watch all the time but uh this match really was an incredible story and it built off the 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 whole history that of matches that these two guys have had starting with the first despy you know uh or the first takataichi mania match they had with one another a couple years ago where this guy got his jaw broken and then the uh the the rematch which was the tag match that they had earlier this year and kind of all culminated here and they've kind of had each other you know in the uh crosshairs for a while now and for whatever reason, Despy, I mean, he's a, a New Japan guy. He's kind of a made man. He's like the leader of, of the junior division, and he doesn't really necessarily need to be about that life. But for whatever reason, he is. And both of these guys coming out in all white was an incredible touch because he knew that they were going to bleed a lot. And like you said, every gimmick that was imaginable, I mean, there's some pretty horrifying stuff. Uh, I'm surprised there was no light tubes. True. Yeah. That was like one of the few things missing here, but I mean, you know, uh, metal grates, chains, barbed wire, forks, or yeah, that was one of the craziest things. Was they 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 had a board with forks that was set up on a bunch of chairs, and um, they did a destroyer um, pedigree into the off the top rope into the the board with forks with and they were metal forks that were that was uh, that was one of the things i didn't even know what they were doing it, to be honest what i thought was happening was i thought he was i thought that uh jun kasai was giving desperado a pepsi plunge off the top rope mm-hmm. and despy reversed it and was giving him a back body drop but then when they both went i was like oh he gave him a destroyer <laughs> like, this is nuts <laughs> 
this is and then they they also had boards with uh metal cleavers in the board but they were like set up in a way to where like you couldn't cut through but i mean they were they were cleavers in the board that were cutting the guys up um and like jeremy said it, it was pretty pretty brutal one thing that i liked about so like in the old days of deathmatch wrestling um a lot of the stuff i liked like the onita stuff there's a lot of psychology around it they would tease and tease and tease and tease the danger that was to come and then eventually boom you get it you know um and it, and it was kind of hyped up and over the past couple decades with like czw and all these crazy freedoms deathmatch promotions that that art kind of went by the wayside and it just kind of became what's the craziest thing we could do as fast as possible and everyone just killing each other this match was kind of somewhere in between that because they definitely got right to it but there was a psychology around the story built around when they were doing what they were doing and it escalated appropriately and there was a lot of psychology that was built there it wasn't just mindlessly you know spamming finishers or spamming uh weapon shots and there was a good portion where it was like you know it kind of had the structure of a regular match where it was like you know they they were back and forth and then looked a little bit like despy was getting the early shine and then you know then we got to the heat with jim kasai and then you thought there's gonna be a comeback but then there's no comeback there's no comeback and then june kasai is just kicking this dude's ass and like he rips his mask and he's bleeding everywhere and you can actually see his whole exposed face the whole the whole match yeah and it just keeps going and going and it's getting worse and worse and june kasai is just putting uh despy through hell and then it becomes a match where it's like oh he's just wrestling as an underdog from underneath the whole time kind of reminded me of the uh like a bloodier dirtier version of what we got from tai chi and uh doki earlier in the year Mm. in a certain way yeah and it just was like holy fuck like this this guy desperado should have never taken this match because he doesn't belong he's in he's out of his element and he's getting destroyed and uh eventually he was able to get the double pinche loco to beat this guy but he had to go through hell to do it and uh it's just so wild and then the post match comments um it's not traditionally like as good as like say eddie kingston promo or a mox promo or some some of the stuff we've seen this year but it was really incredible and touching the the post-match promo where you know june kasai is talking about how despy said that he didn't care about his life and he's willing to die he's talking about how like you're not like me like you have the world in front of your feet (laughs) and you know you shouldn't be willing to die in this ring. Like you have something to live for and don't, don't ever take life. So like, uh, so lightly, you know, and then Despy like broke down in tears and was like, I'm never going to, to make that mistake again. And it was like, there was like a progression of like character building and story, you know, in the story that they're telling where it's like, damn, like I have a lot more, um, personal investment into Desperado and, make no mistake about it but he's been great but like this did a lot more for me for desperado than say like the last uh match he had with like um hiromu in the finals of the super juniors or whatever so yeah i thought this was just excellent just really really excellent uh i don't know if i'm five stars on it but a lot of people are i can see why they are i'm not far off 
I, I think it's a, a clear leader and contender for excursion match of the year contender. Yeah, definitely. Then for the recommended match, you recommended Liger versus Hiromu, one of their only televised singles matches from Best of Super Junior 27 Night 2. Uh, watch this matchup, and man, this match was so much fun. It was in a uh, raucous, hot Cork and Hall crowd, um, and straight from the bell, Liger goes to Hiromu. Bam, Shote right from the opening bell, hits the senton dive from the apron, brain buster on the floor. Uh, Liger is just taking it to Hiromu. Um, Hiromu's having to fight from underneath. Um, and then from there, those guys just um, back and forth with the speed and the high flying and the great spots. Um, of course, Hiromu's trying to hit the time bomb, but Liger keeps reversing. Liger got several great, you know, hope spots. He hit the big Liger bomb. He hit the brain buster in the ring. And the crowd was totally behind Liger. Uh, Hiromu was the junior champion going into this match and into this tournament. So um, had Liger beaten Hiromu, he would have gotten a junior title shot after Super Juniors. Um, so the crowd was definitely you know behind Liger and wanted him to get the big win here. Uh, but yeah, Hiromu kind of fighting back. Um, um, and it was able to uh, hit the time bomb to beat Liger. Nice. Well, um... I guess that is going to uh, where, where where would you go star ratings on this one? So probably like four and a quarter for the Liger Hiromu. That's pretty high for a match this short. Yeah, it was short, but I don't know. It it was awesome. Like <laughs> like Liger was on fire, like flying all over the place. Hiromu was just moving so fast and doing a lot of cool stuff. It it was an awesome match. Nice. Well. That is going to do it for um, recommended excursion match of the week talk. Let's uh, give our recommendations for this coming week and get out of here. Yeah, so this week I have the recommended match, and I am choosing Cassiura Shibata versus Shelton Benjamin from the G1 Climax 24, Night 5, July 28th, 2014. What led you to pick this one? So um, I saw on Twitter Tanahashi talking about his match with Shelton Benjamin. And, you know, I've always been a big fan of Shelton Benjamin. He was one of my favorite guys, kind of that mid-2005 era of WWE. And, you know, I haven't seen a ton of Shelton stuff in New Japan. I was like, oh, well, Shelton Tanahashi, that sounds good. Then I went to cage match, and both those matches are like sixes, and Dave gave both of them like three and a quarter. And I'm like, hmm, that's weird. Uh, I guess those weren't that good matches. So then I went to Shelton's cage match, went to New Japan, filtered for his highest-rated New Japan match, and it was this match, his highest-rated singles New Japan match, and it was this match with uh, Shibata. Huh. Well, I will definitely have to check that out. I don't know if I've actually seen this. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, for my excursion match of the week, I know that the last time I had this, I sent you to... The UK to Red Pro's 10 year anniversary. I think we're going back there. Um, so the first night's main event, which would be Will Ospreay versus Mike Bailey, got a lot of buzz. I know it's one that you've been uh, probably wanting to check out. I don't know if you have you already seen it. No, I started watching it at one point, but then I got had to do something else. So yeah, I definitely need to watch this match. So yeah, I'm looking forward to watching it this week. Awesome. Well, um, that's going to do it. Machine.
Yep, that's going to wrap things up for us here this week. Next week, we'll be back to review the Burning Spirit in Kobe and keep you up to date with all the latest NJPW news. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. Also follow the network at Social Suplex on Facebook. We're Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. On Instagram, we're also at Social Suplex. You can find us on Reddit. I'm the pro black guy. Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. And check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. The AEW Match Guide Podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. And the Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 